Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Stormrift Rome Gate this episode are... Hi, I'm Will, and the great wheel keeps on turning. Actually keeps on burning. We keep on rolling, rolling with the Dawnbringers. Uh, I'm Josh, and I've taken the coin Malice, and I'm going to lead you on an expedition through the realms, and only you will be able to tell us if we have a successful supplement at the end. Uh, and I'm Aaron, and take me down to the Hammerhall City, where Gyra is green and Ashy is gritty. Oh, won't you please yeah. take me home? In this episode, we cover the lore of the cities of Sigmar Battletome uh, for the second time. Uh, get ready to hear a whole lot of shots fired, spinning our wheels, and human-centric perspectives. And then if we have time after all that, we'll talk about those free people. Uh, how are you tonight, my, speaking of, fellow humans? Great. Great. Yeah, I'm doing good. That's a sneak preview that there's a lot of humans in this book. Um, good. Glad to hear uh, you guys. Um, uh, how are you? If not, we'd have to unpack a lot of, lot of stuff. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said, how are you? Uh, don't ever ask how Aaron be. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm doing all right. I think I'm, I'm doing just fine. Excited to be here. Sorry. Uh, excited to talk about these cities, uh, cities of Sigmar um, pe- peoples. I don't know why I said it like as a plural thing. Anyways, um, <laughs> doing, doing just fine. Um, before we get to the cities of Sigmar, which is, I think, all anyone wants to hear about, but too bad it's our show. We get to pick. Um, instead, I would love to know what you guys have been up to since last we talked. I feel like some of you I haven't chatted with in, in a hot second. Um, so what what you guys been doing in the hobby? Let's start with Will because his name was first up above. Hey, Will, what you, what you been doing? Uh, I've been working on uh, cities of Sigmar, sort of. No. Uh, specifically, I've been doing cities of, I call it cities of Hob. Because I'm taking my 100 Hobgrots and converting them to work in the new Cities of Sigmar book. Fun. Nice. Uh, and I talk about it more in depth in Path to Story, but I found a way for these models to work in four different armies, like using the rules of four different battle tones. So <laughs> that's been like my my project has been piecing together that puzzle of how to do this. Wow. I mean, at, th- at this point, though, like, why stop at four? I, f- I reckon just figure out how to do like every army. I, you know, I feel like it's going to get there. Okay. Because I mean, yeah. how many armies have dude on a small base with a sword and shield? It's not true. that complicated. That's true. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, right on. Um, so, uh, what? I mean, might I ask, what are the other three armies? I know you said you talked about it. Maybe. I'm, yeah. I'm so it's cities of Sigmar because the Hobgrats are going to be my steel helms. There's I mean, they just work for the cruel boys standardly. They're just kind big rats, so they work as gloom spike gets. And since I have them on foot and mounted, I'm going to use them as chaos marauders uh, for Slaves <laughs> of Darkness. That one I didn't expect. That one is out of left field. Okay. So that's the one I've been planning for a while, and I couldn't figure out how I wanted to do it. And then the city's book is like the final puzzle piece of like, oh, if I do it like this, it works for both of them. I can't wait to Clever. see how it plays out. Um, and listeners, if you want to see how or hear how it plays out, I reckon you should probably uh, check out Path to Story because I'm sure Will is going to talk talk about them. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Pictures. Right on. Hey, uh, hey, Josh, what you been up to in the hobby, my friend? Um, well, some reorganizing, but uh, also we got Crypt of Blood for the, the Warcry starter. So I've been picking up, painting up the terrain for that um, so that eventually we could get some games and try out the introductory missions that they have on there so is there terrain as cool as it looks 
Uh, it is cool, yeah. And there's some neat, de- neat details on the uh, the crypt or on the coffin and on the statue itself, which is pretty cool. So I'm trying out some unique. Um, you know, I haven't done much OSL with candlelight and stuff, so I'm going to try some of that and trying I tried a new bronze age technique, Ooh. and so it's, it gives me an opportunity to play with some fun fun things I haven't tried before. That would be cool. No, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, I, I mean, I asked if it was cool. However, at the same time, it's hard to like live up to the um, Norwood terrain, though, right? Like anything after that is like, ooh, it really has to shine. So, but, but that's <laughs> the point, right? It's a, starter, it's a starter set. It's not meant to be this high, like high technical, like intricate, like setup. But right, um, it's on my it's on my shopping list to pick up as well. Um, nice, because like I know a couple of people who are actually interested in picking up Warcraft. I feel like I've talked a little bit about before, but like if there's maybe a more introduction, like if it seems like even that simplified, like toned down game is a little overwhelming for some folks. So maybe even if I had a more uh, introductory type uh, system, maybe it would stick better. So I, I am looking forward to picking it up. Cool. Yeah. Right. What have you been doing in the meantime? Oh man, look at you guys asking me questions. I love this. Um, I'm the one who asks questions. I uh, know what have I I've been working on? So, um, oh God, I don't. This isn't necessarily the time to bring it up yet. But as a sneak preview, listeners, um, we are we're in the planning stages, despite the fact that it's rapidly approaching, um, of a little get together, a little shindig, a little uh, a meeting of the minds, perhaps um, of the Moral Realms crew and uh, assorted friends. And family, supposedly. Um, and we're going to play a few games. We're going to try a, different, a few different systems out. We're going to share some ideas. We're going to, you know, um, mix and match a little bit. Uh, none of that makes any sense, I realize. Uh, but to do so, uh, I'm going to actually have to have, like, models to play with, which is kind of a tall order for this guy. It's really um, weird, yeah. Yeah, right? But my goal is if I'm going to try a bunch of different game systems, and by that I mean all three game systems, um, I kind of want them all to be, like, related or, like, uh, unified in some front and i was looking through all my different armies to see like what 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 group of models do i have that like i could play in all those different in a bunch of different game systems maybe Warcraft, maybe underworlds maybe a little path to glory um and so i think of all the things that i have assembled the the largest reach i have is probably corn despite the fact that i'm not even really the biggest corn fan but here we are mm. um and so uh I have a fair bit of like actual AOS like units put together for corn. I've got all the Underworlds corn warbands put together just sort of accidentally. And so I figured to complete the trifecta, I would start assembling the, they have a name, Claws of Karanak, if I remember yes. correctly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a couple dudes down uh, putting those guys together. And I feel like that uh, has evolved into a little uh i don't know flesh hound uh themed um grouping of of dudes and so that might yeah. be what i see yeah. what i might bring to that um to that fancy weekend uh coming up in the fall so Fun. more to nice. come on that front maybe maybe not more to come on that front i guess i'm not going to promise anything but um <laughs> that is what <laughs> i have assembled unfortunately i have already assembled assembled the cool guys in that war band which is to say the leader and that dude that kind of looks like a flesh down even though he is not and so yep. i'm losing a little steam on like the, the mooks who are i mean they're fine they're good they're great and they're right but like this is not this is a diversion from what i was working on and so um which is terrain which i suppose is not any more interesting than mook corn guys but um still uh but i will finish these got these guys up shortly and then god i don't know how i'm gonna paint them like it like literally i don't know the mechanism by which i will paint them mm-hmm. 
I have long since forgotten how to. What's a contrast? Three colors. I painted five blood reavers. I mean, it's years ago at this point, I think, with contrast, and they turned out for me like splendid. And so that is exactly what I'll do for the rest of them as well. Cool and great. And that's all I've been working on. Uh, does anybody else have anything else that they want to share that they've been working on? Nope. No. Cool. Guys, nice and thorough. Um, we could jump into the story phase right now, but just kidding. We've got some more. Um, what's the word? I always forget the word that I'm looking for. Bookkeeping? Yeah, I get your yeah, bookkeeping. Well, yeah, there you go. That's exactly what I was looking for. Um, but we still got more bookkeeping uh, before we get there. Hold tight. We're almost there. Listeners, you, you, we're so close. Um, but let me do a few Mortal Realms plugs, and they go like this. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast, the one that you're listening to, Story Phase, The Mortal Realms, and all of our other shows at themortalrealms.com. You can email us your feedback, and I, I just wish you would. No one ever does. And like, if hey, listen, are you? If you were to do it right now, you'd be like the first person in years at this point. It would really stand out. Your name would live forever in infamy if you just gave us a shout at mortalrealms at gmail.com. I tell you, you won't be disappointed. I'll, I'll even respond. Me, personally, I will do it. Um, <laughs> you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash themoralrealms uh, to support the show and get early releases of the story phase, which is this show, um, and access to exclusive content like the Pocket Realms, which are short story phases hosted by Davey Aaron Aaron, who is me. Uh, and then also, I, can, I finally get to add something to this little list. You also get access to Warhammer Bros, which is a newer uh, segment show. Uh, where Paven attempts to get his brother into 40k, which I don't like the goal, but I like family <laughs> bonding. I like, um, yeah, <laughs> I like uh, uh, not not even encouraging. I like badgering people into doing the things that you want to do. So, like those those two components, I'm a really big fan of. So, uh, I've been listening. I've been following along. I'm a patron of my own Patreon. And uh, I'm really digging what they're putting out there. And then uh, if you cannot or do not want to pitch in uh, monetarily, which is totally fine, I don't blame you, um, then head on over to your podcast service of choice and give us a review. I just noticed that someone gave us a review earlier this year whose name escapes me. Um, if I were a better podcast host, I would have like give them props or shout outs or like, I don't know, read their name or something, but it's too late. The name has escaped. Um, but be like that person who gave us an awesome review or give us a terrible review. I guess I don't really mind all that much. I just really like the attention, um, and give us stars, write us a little blurb. would really appreciate it. Uh, your reviews go a long way in terms of discoverability. And then if you don't even want to do that, which I admit is a lot of clicks, uh, you can just go ahead and tell a friend about the mortal realms. Um, they'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. We'll be glad you did. It's a win, win, win. All right. Exactly. Yeah, the topics right. to discuss. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. small talk is hard. I, I have a hard time talk, talking to strangers. What a great way to broach a new friendship um, right. by talking about the mortal realms or a new, like, or a new, like, no, a new friendship. Yeah, just <laughs> okay. talk to random people on the bus and see if they listen. <laughs> or a new any enemy ship rivalry. I guess. I mean, yeah. all of the above would be fine. It just adds a little spice to life. Um, so there we go. Uh, one final thing, which is not really a plug, but I will say we're going to talk about the cities of Sigmar Battle Tome. I'm really excited to do so, but we would not be uh, able to do it do so as easily if it weren't for the fact that GW is uh, so very kind enough to send us a review copy of this book. And so because of that, we will say, hey, thanks, GW. Mighty Thank kind of you. Yeah. Um, all right. I've been talking too long. And the, the, the peoples, they want this story phase. So, uh, Will, this time, would you be willing right. to take us there if you're so so inclined? I will give it a try. It's not easy. 
the story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the nine realms. Wow, but you make it look easy or sound easy, <laughs> I guess, technically. Um, I was like, camera's off. You didn't see me sweating. <laughs> Just bucking it. It's like that uh, key and peel gif of what's the space. Anyways, um, hey, we made it. We're at the story phase. Ooh, finally, um, we're talking about the cities of Sigmar Battletome for the second time. I started listening to the first episode thinking that I was going to glean some insights. I was going to learn something about what the cities used to be so I could compare and contrast to what they are now. But I got mm, mm-hmm. probably three minutes into li- listening to myself talk, decided I hated it and turned it off. Um, <laughs> so this is, we're just, we're shooting from the hip today. Um, but I, I, it was like 2019 is maybe where the first episode of cities mm-hmm. was, which is a very, very long time ago. Who could even remember that far back? But I do know, well, actually, I don't know. I wonder if we even had the segment, the best segment, everyone's favorite segment of mm-hmm. uh, describing the faction in one sentence. I don't know if that existed back then, but let's pretend like it didn't or forget if it did. Um, and instead, uh, start fresh. Let's start fresh for the listeners and try to give our best one sentence description of the faction uh, today as it exists. So, um, sorry, well, I'm going to keep making you go first because you're just top of mind. Um, would you be, would you be willing to give it a, uh, take a stab at it? Give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. They're not that strong. They're not that magical. They're not that powerful. Yet these normal dudes just keep moving forward and they just keep turning the great wheel. Someone's got to. All right. Very cool. Uh, I, I I can't I can't even imagine what could be added to that one sentence explanation, but I'm sure Josh is going to try. Hey Josh, would you be willing to give us uh, your best one sentence? Oh my gosh, did you write it down here, you son of a gun? I did. Um, <laughs> your best one sentence description of uh, the cities of Sigmar. A metropolitan bucket of multicultural identities and ideals. Uh, I, I like it. It also seems a little aspirational. I think we're probably going to talk about like how uh, how multicultural it actually is. But um, there's a lot of fervor in this book. Sure, yeah, that is a whole bunch of fervor. Uh, you can smell it. And that's how fervorous it is. Right. Um, right. You're absolutely right. are all over it. All right. So yeah, cities of Sigmar. I think we're getting some ideas. Where it, there's a lot. It's got a lot, a lot of. A lot of elements to it. It's like multifaceted is a great way uh, to to look at it. Um, of 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 dreamers, of, uh, strivers, achievers um, who uh, who are maybe greater mm-hmm. than the sum of our, their parts. I don't know why, why I'm trying to come up with a description. That's not my job. I just have you guys do it. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, what we're gonna, that's the faction we're going to be talking about. Um, but again, I didn't listen to the last episode. I don't know how much time we spent previously uh, on the history of the cities of Sigmar, but I think. Regardless if we spent much time on the timeline before, uh, I, I also think that the history of the cities of Sigmar is also the history of the mortal realms. And fortunately, or unfortunately, uh, the mortal realm show has spent <laughs> a lot of time talking about the history of the mortal realms. And I think we've covered a lot of the main, um, the big, the big 
tentpole milestone uh, parts or of the history of the cities of Sigma already. So because of that, I'd maybe want to gloss over the timeline a little bit. However, I keep saying the yeah. word, however, um, there's, there's probably some interesting new stuff in here. And I'm curious if you guys were able to pick out anything um, from, let's say, the Age of Myth or Age of Chaos uh, from that timeline that uh, may be new to this book or maybe it was just new to you that um, sparked your imagination or something that you didn't know about before. Uh, did you find anything new in the uh, the timeline here? Unfortunately, um, just like double check to make sure I'm not missing anything. Uh, no, not really. Everything that I've seen in the timeline, I feel like we've seen before, um, which kind of made me sad because the like Age of Chaos section only covers up until Sigmar leaves and goes to his ear. And I really wanted to hear more about like what these people were doing during the Age of Chaos, and we didn't get it. Yeah, true. I think you might be right, at least in the myth and a- Age of Myth and Age of Chaos. And, prob- and a side note, probably Sigmar and Trial- Age of Sigmar. Uh, Trial- I think there's some new stuff in Sigmar. And- okay, okay. Now, I, won't, I, I won't be so quick to pan it then. Um, but yeah, I, I think, think unless so. I'm missing so my, my thing is, like, there are things that look familiar, and I don't know if they're <laughs> new or if I just don't remember them being... Because, like, <laughs> especially, like, the treadwheel one is, like... Uh, I have no idea if it's new or not. Sure. Um, one thing that stood out to me, and we knew this before, this has been a theme, but like it, it stands out in a city's books particularly because you're getting that like human, like mortal perspective is um, they, they call out at the end of age, at the end of the age of chaos. Um, that's the, the stolen hero story. We're talking about how uh, the, those left behind essentially um, mm-hmm bemoan the fact that if sigmar hadn't started stealing all their best souls like would they have been better set up to survive the age of chaos and again that's not new i think that's been talked about before but like having it talked about in this context always stands out to me like it it's most poignant uh a point for these these folks specifically and so um yeah and frankly it's a theme that i'd love to hear like a story like rise out of or like a a, you know a a novel from the reclaimed point of view yeah exactly Technically, it kind of shows up on God Eater's son. Oh, true. Yeah. Um, I haven't read that one yet. Um, okay, good point. Good point. So, like, it's uh, that's a ripe, like, theme to mine, I think. Uh, especially yeah. from, like, a human or a, 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 a mortal's perspective in the cities of Sigmar. All right. Cool. Uh, any any thoughts about Age of Myth or Age of Chaos before we keep going? We're going to gloss over this potentially. Nope. Yeah, not those sections. All right, let's jump into the Age of Sigmar, Realm Gate Wars, yada, 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 a bunch of new cities, which is important to the cities of Sigmar, those seeds of, what do they call them, seeds of creation? Seeds Seeds of of hope. Hope, Hope. seeds of hope. Hope. Um, So it mentions those seeds um, from the, were those from that campaign all those many years ago? Yep. Uh, Yep. Yeah. So again, we've talked about those before, but uh, they pop up. Um, did you guys have anything from the Age of Sigmar that jumped out at you that you wanted to talk about? So was the Ice Bridge Siege new, or has that been in there before? So it has existed before. I don't think it existed in a city's book, um, but it definitely comes up in the Ogor Battle Tome. Okay. Battle, yeah, Battle that makes Tome. Sense. And sometimes in the Stormcast Battle Tome, because really the story is about Ogors eating the souls of Stormcast. I feel like they just put more emphasis on the paragraph where it's the gyrocopters show up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that part and storm guys helping each other out. Yeah. yeah. This is the most detail we've gotten of this story that has existed before. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, then do you want to remind people about what happens? Yeah. So basically they 
Tempest Eye gets founded and the Thunderbelly's Ma tribe comes marching up on a ice bridge, uh, a frozen bridge. And they have kind of always existed like higher up in the mountains. They found ways to like walk across almost like solid clouds. And now they're going to take on Tempest Eye. The Stormcasts go to stop them, but they start realizing that ogres are so hungry they can eat this the lightning bolt that comes out of a Stormcast when they die. Uh, and they pretty much only survive because the Gyro Corps, just a bunch of Dwarden helicopters, bomb the bridge uh, so the ogres can't pass. Nice. And all while doing a very curt salute between the Dwarden and the Stormcast, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. mentions that the, the Stormcast had saved a column of dispossessed who were fighting ogres, you know, down two to one. Yeah. And so this is them, you know, acknowledging their debt, saying we're even. Nice. Yeah, a crisp salute. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Kurt maybe implies something else. Um, uh, I love it. I love two serious people giving mutual uh, mutual respect to each other. Add that to my list of favorite things. Um, <laughs> very cool. Um, well, that's neat. Uh, it's interesting as these battle tomes progress, how they're like are more and more quote unquote ages that they need to cram in here. And like I understand right. they're doing work in different ways and that they both need to catch new people up to like what has come before but then also trying to cram like new stuff in and i've often bemoaned the fact that like it seems as if we get fewer and fewer like interesting um snapshot stories uh in here and so it's nice to see when we get them i mean this ice bridge sledge is is a fun little tale um so i hope they continue to find ways to add the new even if it's ones that you know stories that maybe are shared across different battle tones uh, amidst the big like i'm going to use the term again amidst the big tent pole um like milestone historical events as well so yeah uh with that being said hey let's keep on going um talking about the time of tribulations the soul wars era uh were there any new stories there again sahara's inferno that was new for me but i didn't know if that's shown up anywhere else or not i don't recall so let's pretend like it's new tell, tell me about okay. it excellent well, it's a short story about Hallowheart. essentially sahar is one of the many wizards there and it was infested by skaven and until it reached a point where sahar had to use a wide variety of different means to assemble a bunch of the wizards and head down into the catacombs. And uh, they essentially spent many, many hours casting numerous spells to cleanse the Skaven out. And uh, to this day, it's it's kind of banned, and, and the stench of sizzled Skaven still can be smelled amongst the walls because of all the arcane energy spent. Nice and yeah, stinky. Delicious. Yeah. Well, The ogres would love it. Yeah, right? right. Well, yeah. I, actually, you're fast. I mean, later in this book, they talk about something very similar to that. Right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, very cool. Um, well, you'd mentioned the trial by Treadwell, Treadwheel yeah. above. So, what, what did you like about that? Yeah, again, I don't know if this is new because it's a Soul Wars thing that takes place in Lethus. And I know we've had stories there. But what I liked about this is it does add new aspects from this book into the story, which is. In Lethus, there are giant treadmills that people walk on to basically pay a debt. And if they pay off their debt, a soul shepherd, which is one of the new models, will protect you from going to Nagash, essentially. Mm-hmm. So you're basically like paying for salvation. And I just think it's cool that this starts 
popping up uh, throughout this book of like, oh, the humans kind of have a way to protect you from going and being tortured by Nagash for all time. Yeah, by going to Morda, but, you know, another a minor deity that has yeah. escaped Nagash's clutches thus far. Yeah. So thus far is, the I think, a big operative word. Um, but I think it's really cool, like just that they they are adding this stuff in and then you have Nagash, of course, not liking it. He sends a bunch of Night Haunt to deal with this and Fusiliers with Silver Shot uh, beat them away, which is interesting because this story takes place before we get the Castellite formation, which is like mm-hmm. the big shields. So I think they're just renaming and retconning handgunners into being yeah. Fusiliers. That's the impression again. Yep. Yep. My favorite part of this story, not to steal from you, but is there folks who had left the treadwheel wheels like to like hide or like they knew they were driven to, you know, terror because of the wail of the the ghosts. Um, They then rendered their deal like moot and then they they, uh, broke their contract or whatever. And so they are no longer going to be saved uh, from the cash. (laughs) 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 Got to sign a new contract. Yeah, I suppose. I guess. Um, The contract is changed pray i don't alter it further i don't know i can't remember the quote yeah um, right so, y'all get it uh all right very cool um it's rare that we get a new story if this is in fact new uh in the soul wars like era so um mm-hmm. more, yeah more power to them do you never keep them coming um but i think that then brings us to the broken realms the age of beasts time frame and uh this is i think where this sets the stage probably for uh, a lot of the information that we get about the cities of Sigmar and sort of this present day or, you know, close to it anyways. Um, mm-hmm. This is where I think the Dawnbringers is first, you know, mentioned, which is, you know, where they first are broadly uh, sort of set out. Um, and yeah. so uh, that is, seems to be really the hallmark of the cities of Sigmar in this time frame is sort of, um, I keep saying sort of uh, the, 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 the marching out of the Dawnbringers and sort of going out to, um, I know retain retain the world in in so many words. Um, did you guys have any thoughts about this era for the cities of Sigmar, or any specific stories that jumped out at you that you wanted to talk about? Yeah. So the the story that marks the era, titled "Era of the Beast," for the most part, I was just like, "Oh, every book has this." It's just a paragraph that explains what Kragnos did, and for the most part, that's true. It you know it talks about Alariel and Teclis accidentally letting Kragnos out. But at the end, it mentions that Phoenicium, yeah, one of the uh-huh. pre-existing cities of Sigmar, Seed of Hope, I think, yeah, Seed of Hope that doesn't have rules anymore. Uh, it talks about them having some sort of portent of disaster, and basically the city kind of falling back into the sap that it's like built on top of, and so they actually pull their soldiers back and they don't go on Dawnbringer Crusades because they want to take care of things back home first. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting that they like gave in narrative a justifiable reason for why they're not in the book and why they're not doing crusades. Yep. Yep. I know. I thought that was clever as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and furthermore, I wonder if this is also them setting, I mean, not to be um, conspiracy theory, but I wonder if this is also them setting the stage for like just, uh, get rid of the whole thing to some degree. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. curious. Like, um, oh no, what happened? Shucks. Uh, nuts. Uh, all the, yeah, the, the Phoenix, Phoenix guard, uh, their, their last stand. And, you know, they all have been sapped. They've been sapped of their, 
lives. Um, um, yeah. What is interesting, though, it could go the other I'll be, way. I'll be the judge of that, but okay. They they could use this to pull the units away and then bring the city back with new elves. Ooh. Next. Very well could. Yeah. All right. We're, we're dabbling not, in. But we're it could. Dabbling into like a scrying face type stuff. Um, yeah, more, on, more, to come, more to come on this, I think, uh, in a series yeah. of questions later. So we'll, I think we can put a pin <laughs> in that. Um, right on. Any other stories or broad thoughts even from the uh, era of the beast that you want to, sh- you guys want to talk about? Oh, well, they, you know, they kind of talk about the order of Azir a little bit in the same kind of general section where they talk about uh, the you know dissatisfaction with the orders, um, failing their duties with all these cults uprising throughout the cities and, and having to redouble their efforts. And it's fun because they kind of mention Haskell Hexbane and his hunters, and they also talk about the Vendenses and kind of, so they kind of bring in these other uh, witch hunter type units. And they even mentioned, uh, you know, Hannah Toll and Armand Callis and even... Uh, J- Jelson Derrock from, you know, um, her city. Oh, yeah, thank you. Oh, from from her city. Yeah. So I could kind of like bringing all these characters together saying, yes, they're all doing things for the order and they're out there in the world, uh, you know, trying to take care of the internal strife. Hey, Josh, uh, that reminds me um, of a question posed by a listener. If you, if you would indulge me for a second, um, uh, a patron of the show, Drake, who, would this be first question from Drake? I can't recall. So if this is first question from you, Drake, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, mm-hmm. And thanks for the, the patron pa- patronship, patronage. Um, they wanted to know what's the order of Azir up to. Uh, is there any cool witch hunter lore? Um, I don't know if there's much more beyond what Josh just said specifically, but at the very least, all, all right. the rich hunt, witch hunters that, that I know of anyways were name dropped uh, in this book. So they are not forgotten. Yeah. Uh, exactly. At least. Yeah. And there are even rules for Hexbane Hunters in Ooh. this book. That's nice. That's fine. And then Dense, actually, too. Yeah. You can yep. pick him as a pair. But not Jaren, right? Is he just a. Yeah, yeah. Jelson, he's a legend. Oh, right, and then Callus and Toll never Cal- got models. Right, right. Yeah. But yeah, so. but they do have, have rules for them for to play along with your Age of Sigmar Farce. And this doesn't take place in the. In this section of the book, but in the Path of Glory section, they have name generator tables you can roll on. Mm-hmm. And in Shaiish, the last names include Vendens, Derak, um, Fun, uh, Venbrecht, who was the Stormcast yeah. lineage, became vampires. So turns out the witch hunters we have are a part of families that are so big, their names are included in name generators. <laughs> so we've got that. I think that counts as cool witch hunter lore, if you ask me. Right. Like I'm it. of that opinion. Uh, right on. Very neat. Um, what else do we know about the uh, Broken Realms Age of Beasts? Um, it introduces the idea of the lore that brings us all the new models uh, with the Out into the Merc story. Oh, sure. Which it just it introduces Talia Vedra, who is the new name character, the lioness of the parch. And she came up with this idea of just like big shield. That that was the whole strategy was big shield. <laughs> and it worked once. So now everyone has to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and no matter where you're going, the official strategy is big shield. The castellite formation. The castellite formation. Um I guess because of that, we can go in a couple different directions in terms of what we want to talk about. I think now it brings us up to the things that we've learned about in the Dawnbringers Harbingers uh, book. Um, and if you want to, you know, find out 
more detail about what occurred there, by all means, go listen to that episode. But like, just sort of at a high level, um, I, it's probably worth mentioning that when we talk about Dombringer Crusades, it through the events of that story has spurred uh, the two largest or one largest, depending on how you look at it, uh, cities of Sigmar, Hammerhall, whether Aksha or Gyra, um, to launch their own um, Dombringer Crusades out into the wilderness. And so I think that is, I mean, essentially is the farthest that the story has gone sort of in tandem with what we're reading about in this, um, in this book as well. Um, and it's, I think bolstered by the fact that the, like, uh, what's her name? Talia has created this Castellite formation and has allowed sort of these, these Dombringer Crusades to be on a more sturdy and more resilient and more successful. Yep. So, um, I, I, I bring this up because I'm trying to catch, like trying to, I don't know, discuss, highlight, uh, dissect sort of where the story is currently as it relates to both the Dombringers and um, this book here. What are you guys thoughts on that? Where where are we at? Like including that, it's it's hard to talk about it because I don't know if this is going to come up in the upcoming Dombringers book, the second one. But in the first Dombringers book, we are told about this big like conspiracy that Callus and Toll are uh, investigating. And then in the Cities of Sigmar book, the conspiracy is figured out and dealt with by Talia. And she sort of uses that to take control of Hammerhall. And she does the Castlight formation, but she also like changes the idea of the Crusades from being Azerite focused, like taming the realms. And she turns it into a reclaimed focus, taking back our homelands type thing. And I think like that's a fundamental change to how the cities of Sigmar have been operating up until that point. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, even point. even to the point of changing the coat of arms, the colors for Hall yeah. actually. And I, and I think um, one of the interesting aspects about this book is they they introduce a lot of coat of arms for all the cities and their shield markings. But um, uh, one of the interesting things I think is it. It talks about the Dawnbringer Crusades, and that's the main focus. You know, so regardless of which city it is, it focuses a bit on Hammerhall, just because this is where the Castellite Formation was developed and and um, you know and kind of um, honed in. You know, and, you know, we need more expert formations, et cetera, et cetera, to make these more successful. But um, but I think the focus of the whole book really is this is how you put together a Dawnbringer Crusade, and these are all the new models in this formation. Because later in the book, they also say, but there are also those standing armies, the fortress armies that stay at home, and they're composed of all of these different units, and you know, including the the dwarves and the elves and the the you know the other units that all work together with these new models. So I think it's kind of interesting that they they make that distinction that this castellite formation is only used in the field; it's not necessarily used in the city, and that's why you have all these other forces that you still use together, and they may or may not be in your castellite formation. So, yeah, they. You make a good point. This is very much like a Dawnbringer's Crusade army book right? that are associated with cities. It's not necessarily a, this is a City of Sigmar book. and Or or, or maybe they're becoming in, interchangeable, and this is the evolution of what, like, Correct. Cities of Sigmar yeah. is. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, or I guess they both are hand-in-hand, hand, right? That, that yeah. speaks to the distinction that Josh was just sort of talking about. Um, yeah. Man, um, we've got a lot of different directions we can go. There's a lot of threads, a lot of tangents. I, um, I was just going to pick one tangent uh, off what you had said, Josh, of you mentioned the coat of arms. 
it's such a small thing, but probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite things in the book is just like yeah. throughout the book, we get not just like the icon and the color scheme of the cities, but like the different heraldry. And there's a description going into like what that means. Like, oh, yeah, yeah this city has these two animals and they express like these beliefs that they have. Um, and it's just super cool to see like how the cities see themselves, how we start to see this cultural thing happen because there hadn't been like many unifying themes between the cities and having just like a, these coat of arms is super cool. And then mm-hmm. they have like the different sets of steel helm armor sitting on armor stands. So you can see the color schemes, but like in the way the soldiers in the mortal realms would see them, not just looking at a model. And I just think that's one of the other coolest things they have. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do spend a lot of time, too, throughout the book talking about the corn malice and, you know, and that concept. And it's interesting because, okay, well, malice is the spear that's in Excelsis, but, you know, they still, they've used that terminology and, and, and they've made it, this this coin malice is something you take to undergo the Dawnbringer Crusade for a wide variety of reasons. But they instituted that across all the realms, regardless of where you're from. So they kind of... I think that's one of the, the hallmarks of the book is that, yes, we're all different cities. We all have our unique characteristics, but we're all humans, elves, dwarven, and ogres now living together. And they share things and they, you know, there's this flux of information and sharing and, and, and how the corn malice, coin malice works, what you have to do. And then, you know, it kind of goes through what I thought was fascinating, the whole, like, how does this crusade start? Let's put it together. Why, why are these certain components part of it? How long does it take to get where it's going? What does it do when it gets there? You know, what do they start with? You know, what is each person required to do? So it goes really in depth, I thought, in terms of how this whole expedition is supposed to happen, how it kind of works, how these settlements grow and become cities. And they're making these star bridges so that, you know, Stormcast could travel back and forth without worrying about cursed skies. And so there's like this evolution of the story. But they also tell you exactly how these strongholds and strong points grow into something bigger. And, uh, and, and on top of that, they have them, all these maps where they show the successful ones and the ones that didn't make it, you know. So yeah. <laughs> it's really, I think, an interesting way to portray it. Like, yeah, we've got lots of them out there. And for a while, they were just criminals, <laughs> all these other <laughs> poorly formed units. And a lot of those didn't make it. And, you know, and so that's why the cast light formation is so such a big change. It's like now they're well-trained individuals. They're more successful in making these strong points. And then, you know, and, and hopefully taming the wilds. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I thought it was really interesting how they kind of showed the evolution of, uh, of all of that, you know, what they're doing, including the one personal story from the, what's her name? Edmara. Yeah. She essentially yeah. takes the coin malice and throughout the whole book, you're kind of following her quests and her story. She's writing home to her dad. And, you know, so you get to see the evolution in a personal point as well. Uh, so I thought that I thought that was all very well done. Yeah. Well, and it answers like a complaint people have had since the beginning of Age of Sigmar, which is the the joke, oh, where are the farmers? Mm-hmm. Like, not that anyone actually cares about farmers. I mean, I do, coming from the Midwest. Yeah. But it's more of like, well, yeah, we have gods fighting. We have all the, like, all these high-minded things. But, like, mm-hmm. what about the day-to-day lies? What about the logistics of this setting? And just like you were saying, Josh, this book goes into it like yeah there's a cool like two-page spread of like the specific kit like someone mm-hmm. will carry with them on crusade like including their eating utensils it yep. 
it's the most personal, like human uh, level book that we've, I think we've gotten so far. Yeah. yeah I think that's, you know, definitely it goes into so much detail into a lot of, you know, like the basic, you know, normal human, what are they going through? You know, what do they got to worry about with their kit? And when they get to the settlement and, you know, it's, 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 I think it's, like you said, one of the first really in-depth aspects we get from like that human mortal kind of perspective. Yeah. It just like a, a funny aside, it's always talking about people complaining about how heavy the new Castellite shields are, <laughs> which is the most human thing. Like yeah. <laughs> you have all these other armies that have like the crazy big helmets or like those super long spears, like the Lumineth. And no one ever compl- like you never hear a Lumineth complaining about it. Yeah, um, we'll even, we'll even talk about the Dwarden who, who wear you know and march for days and wear heavy stuff. And the, but their their complaining is turned into an art form. <laughs> they <yeah>. do it. <laughs> <laughs> How well they complain is part of their culture. <laughs> yeah. Like we never see people talk about living in a magical world negatively until now. <laughs> well, I feel like we've come across a few negative things. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess like the day the day to day aspects of living in a magical world. Of you know what, these yeah, fields yeah. are too big. <laughs> like, come on, guys. Yeah, yeah, it's more humanized. I think. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like okay, these are like regular people. Yeah, that we'd be complaining to for all and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh man. Uh, all right, I don't even know where to go from here. You guys, you you you've seeded all sorts of threads. <laughs> the question is uh, where to go next. Let's, since we were still, I guess, adjacent to the timeline discussion, um, and I know we kind of leave the predicting towards the end, but I'll just bring it up now. Um, a question uh, from a friend of the show, Thundercake from the Discord. Um, wait, hold up, guys. Did I forget to do my my question preamble? Like it's yes, it's maybe my second. It it's my favorite second or my second favorite thing to do uh, on this show. <clears throat> All right, you guys ready? Let's let's yes. go for a ride. Let me take you on a journey. Here's the deal, listeners. Hey, would you like to get a question on the show? Of course you would. That was a rhetorical question. Uh, I don't need an answer. Um, but if you want to get a question on the show, this is what you do. You need to hang out in the Discord, and that Discord is www.themoralrealms.com slash discord. Pretty easy. Pretty easy to remember. Um, you're listening to the Mortal Realms, and it's a Discord server. Um, but you got to hang out in that server. Um, I believe it's the Stories and Lore channel, but I'm not positive. I don't have it in front of me. I, I don't have it memorized. I don't think about it you is. guys all the time. Um, so what you need to do is you need to be hanging out there all the time. And when I just decide on a whim, if I wanted to get some questions seeded into an episode, I will... Uh, like a thief in the night without warning, ask, hey, does anybody have any questions that they want to ask about X, Y, or Z? Who knows what the topic's going to be? Not me. Um, and then if you have any questions, you ask them there. I copy and paste them into a separate document. The formatting goes to hell. I have a really hard time uh, copying and pasting correctly. Uh, and then when the show rolls around, like right now, I will ask them. And so it's pretty simple. Thanks for uh, yeah. thanks for allowing me. Uh, yeah, lots of great questions. Um, so here's one friend of the show, Thundercake. They wanted to know, uh, with this book seeming to really focus on the one city, I think he means Hammerhall there, the mercenary leader turned main character. He means Talia. We'll talk more about her later and her reforms. That's the cast life formation. We've already touched on that. Uh, are there any clues to the next city theme, which presumably is going to be continued on in the Dawnbringers uh, book? Do you guys have any, I don't know if there's going to be a theme, but do you guys have any predictions as to what like is next for the cities? Like what in terms of from a timeline perspective story. So as far as like the next city that might get a spotlight, Ooh, I am going to throw out, um, gray water fastness. Oh, um, I know this is a section we typically do later, but there's a lot of cool things coming out of gray water fastness. 
um, partially because they are like the gunpowder city and we have a lot of new gunpowder units. But they also drop a hint of like other things going on that could lead to like more story moving forward. Um, like uh, the golem kin that typically hang out with the KO. They're mentioned as being mercenaries for Greywater Fastness. Oh, all right. All right. Hey, uh, Josh, you got any predictions? If we're, we're talking about plot, right? Or like the right. Yeah. story goes, where do you think this might go next? That's a, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm thinking eventually Lethis is going to become a focus where the gosh is going to attack it and they're going to have to defend it. And, you know, Morda, you know, will get more involved. And, you know, so that'd be interesting. Morda that involved. I'm going to take a different strategy in answering this question in that I think the next city quote unquote theme is actually going to be whatever those Dawnbringers crusades from Hammerhall, wherever, wherever they're going to go to like settle. I think we know that one is going to make it and one that it isn't. I think whichever one makes it is going to be the, is going to be the next focus, whatever that is. So, gotcha. and I think maybe we even, maybe we even knew what they were going to be called or maybe it was just the names of the crusades. I can't remember, but the point is, okay. So whatever their destinations are going to be, one of the destinations was going to be, feels like it'll be, it might be important though. I don't know who's to say, um, Good so, point. Uh, yep, yep. I have not read that book. I need to uh, pick that up. Joshua, or just listen, to, or just listen oh, to uh, even better yeah. the most recent episode of um, the Marvels podcast. Uh, Sorry, face. Um, cool. So, all right, let's let's jump into a few other our more broader, non less specific uh, topics. Um, you guys have touched on a lot of these things, but we'll dive into because folks had some questions. So, um, I know. A lot of folks wanted to know more about the – you mentioned multicultural earlier or the multiracial uh, aspects of City of Sigmar and where we sort of find ourselves there. Um, and so I think what we see in this book, it's quite a bit of human focus and then everybody else. But it seems as like everybody else has their own fans and everybody – there's a series of questions about different races in, in the in the cities of Sigmar. And so mm-hmm. in no particular order, I'm just going to go down the line. So, for example, there there is a elven – component contingent in the cities of Sigmar and patron of the show, Will Lawless wanted to know um, any reference at all to the wanderers uh, to cover the sunsetting of their models. Um, so there are a bunch of different types of elves related to the cities of Sigmar that is, seems to have been narrowed died down quite a bit. Let's, let's focus on the wanderers. Do we get much reference to them in this book at all? Nope. Nope. Sorry, Will. I- <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, we, I just talked about how like they had a cool idea for Phoenicium and like the Phoenix Garden, why they went away. We don't get that for Wanderers. Yeah, there's just nothing, nothing. Uh, so the mentioning of the Phoenicium and sort of that the Phoenix Guard is the extent of, I think, what we really saw from that, like the High Elf contingent as well. So like that, it's better than nothing, but not yeah. much. Uh, and what's um, left then is they speak of these elves sort of in the abstract but we all know that it's really just the leftovers of the dark elf range or what yeah. remains uh, in the darkling covens. Yeah. And yeah. I don't even can't remember what they're called. What are the dragon ones? Order Serpentis. Order, Order Serpentis yeah. and the Scourge Privateers. Scourge Privateers. Yep. yep. So those mm-hmm. were, were present before and continue to be present now. Um, yep. um, what is interesting is like because of that, the lore that they have for the elves in this book, like, 
has drastically changed since there's no longer wood or aisle stuff. It talks more about them being like secluded in their own areas of the different cities because they're the more secretive types of elves. True, true. uh, Compared to the other ones. And then also, I feel like they changed the lore for the Order Serpentis. Um, yes, they talk about uh, Narkath being like their home realm in Olu. They had to leave that. Um, and they talk about them being more like just straight up beast tamers and like beast hunters. When I remember the thing that drew me to them in the past was like they kept on trying to almost like genetically engineer new dragons. And that's why you get things like the Hydra because they goofed. And they made a mistake. Oh, really? Interesting. that's gone away. Um, They're just back to being regular beast hunters. Yeah, beast hunters, tamers. Yeah. I think if they have to be sort of like the stand-ins for now, like, elfdom as a whole in the cities of Sigmar, they they need to go, like, more generic with them, which is a shame because the models are not necessarily generic. And and, and by – maybe I take that back. Not generic. General. And yeah. there's a difference, I think, between generic and general. Um, so if they, I think they need to go more general with their description so that they can sort of like take an all-comer approach because they're, yeah. again, the less standouts from Elves and City of Sigmar, which yeah. should be a sort of a cornerstone for this faction. Um, other Elven thoughts that you guys have, which is not uh, to say Elven thoughts, but thoughts about Elves. Um, we did just, this is, we had blown past it before, but I realized that... Uh, there was another question that we technically answered. A uh, question from the resident SAS master, which is, what happened to that city with the phoenixes and the lore anyways? Right, um, right, yep. Mm-hmm. So they are just hanging out at home, being couch potatoes, waiting for bad things to happen, and they're not really doing anything. Yep, they're preparing. Yeah. This is why it's so hard to make an outline for this darn show, you guys. You never know. What, you never know what direction <laughs> the, right. the conversation right. is going to go. No, no, I'm just, sure. I'm, this is for the listeners, not for you guys. I don't care what you guys think. Um, <laughs> I kid. I kid. Um, uh, true. True. Uh, I'll keep them coming. What other Elven thoughts do you guys have? And how'd you feel about this? Give me your. Give me your emotions too. No, I think they're. Um, I mean, one of the new units they've added are the Wilder Corps, which are the new scouts. You know. Uh, you know. Typically, they're. Um, reclaimed and so i think they kind of take the place of the wanderers in this particular you know in the cities and that's that's why they maybe have moved away but i think that um they've also you know some of the past books have talked about you know how the wanderers have made peace with Ilario. so i'm, I'm guessing something's going to change in the future where perhaps we'll see them later as part of the sylvaneth or something else yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I'm kind of glad that they left. There, I said it. All right, mm-hmm. and this is coming from a guy who loves Wood Elves. Like, they're hands down my favorite Warhammer Fantasy. What? Well, not even close. They're absolutely far and away my favorite Warhammer Fantasy army. And yet, I'm I'm just kind of glad that it never really seemed like they made sense in Cities of Sigmar. It was just kind of a stand-in, you know, tack on, also ran kind of thing. Um, but like when you're talking about cities, like Wood Elves are the most most like anathematic to that that they are the yeah. opposite of cities. I don't know. Um, the living city though the living uh, well, city. Uh, okay that's one example and does not justify why an entire like and so yeah I, if they're going to stick around and honestly i don't know that i'm I, if they cut them entirely i wouldn't even mind all that much because they're going to be an old world where they belong um which i will also have um so like it Either find a better place for them or, or get rid of them entirely is where I where I stand. Um, yeah, 
And for me, my big mourning of the loss of the High Elves happened with the previous book. Skycutter Chariots? Skycutter Chariots, the Swift Hawk Agents. I mean, I bought Mm -hmm. a bunch of those um, the month before. Um, Or even just like the Eldritch Council, the Order, Draconis. Like, we already lost most of the High Elves. We kind of only had the Phoenix Guard left anyways. Mm -hmm. So... Right. And they kind of only focus on Phoenicium mm. narrative wise. So honestly, it's not that much of a narrative loss. Yeah. Too true. That already happened. Right. In my eyes. Right. Yeah. Though I will say of all of the elven factions to stick around, the idea that the let's I'll just call them dark elves. The idea that the dark elves stuck around would I would have never have guessed that. Like, and I think maybe it's just they don't know what to do with them or I, I don't know why they're right. clinging to them. I think they're going to play a role in the future with Malaria because they even talk about how they're, you know, they, they helped cities of Sigmar, they helped Sigmar to reclaim the realms and their only request was privacy. So they have their own like enclaves essentially, but nobody knows what their true motives are. So, I, you know, I'm thinking Malaria comes back with his faction. We might see some turmoil or something. Yeah. I mean, Loyalties, yeah, I, you know. I, I definitely bet that that you're correct. I think that's probably true. But then, did they need to still be in the book for that to like come to? Pass, oh yeah, because we have no idea when Malarians kind of pop up. <laughs> yeah, that's the real answer. <laughs> we don't know when that book is coming. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, and I will say uh, one other cool thing, and this may have already existed, um, but it's talking about some of those Darkling Coven's soldiers, and I think it is. The executioners, um, they mentioned how, like, they might not even be elves. They might be, like, shadow demons wearing armor. Right. And no right. one actually knows. Hint. So I think it's definitely leaning towards what Josh is saying of it being these. They're probably going to go over to Malarian. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, cool. Any other elven thoughts? Or we'll keep on keeping on. Dwarden. All right, next, let's talk about some Dwarden. And to start us off, to, get, to to prime the conversation, we had another question from a patron of the show. Thank you so much, uh, J.M. Wormwood. Any new lore for the Dwarden in the battle, in the new Battletome? Uh, focus is obviously on the humans this time around, but does the book go into any detail how the Dwarden specifically fit into the cities of Sigmar and Dawnbringer Crusades? Well, for the first part of the question, I think it, it hasn't really changed. It, it didn't change too much, uh, the Duarden intersection with the cities of Sigmar, um, right? Like, No, I think they um, they, they kind of they, they went into a little more detail again with the, this is what we send these certain Dwarven engineers and people along with the Crusades for these reasons. And then they also talk about how um, certain groups of them will be you know, the laborers, but they'll pick up their weapons and they'll fight and they've got all their stuff in their barracks. And, you know, so they kind of gives a little bit more like city background in terms of the standing fortress armies, as well as what the dwarves do specifically when they're on the road. Same with the elves that travel with them. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But I, I think one of the, the neat things is they mentioned the white dwarf and they mentioned, oh yeah, yeah he was brought here. Um, and also, oh yeah, there's a, you know, Gunderson's running around, you know, because <laughs> so they kind of point out, yeah, there's all these dwarves from the you know from the realm that was, and they're walking around as well as the god. And, you know, so they kind of mentioned that as you know bringing the history up to to where we are in the present day. Um, remind me, I I can't remember. Um, did so from some of the other Dwarden battle tomes, which is to say, like Fire Slayers and Ko. There's the, there's been this like through line, this thread talking about if not like 
literally a reunification of the Duarden. It's more of, you know, thematically or, you know, sort of culturally, there's this rejoining of uh, sort of Duardenship um, throughout the mortal realms. Was there any even hint of that in this book at all in any of the Duarden sections? Uh, honestly, not nope. really. Like the only time they bring up like Gromadol is just by saying, I mean, not Gromadol, uh, Grungni is when Grungni brings back Gromadol. So it's right. like, other than that, there's no mention of them being overarching. It does talk about them being like working with the cities to take back their old like mountain holds. And mm-hmm. that's where their real like relationships are. Okay. Right. Sure. Yeah. I guess I'm sort of surprised. It seemed as if it was a, an intentional seed in other books. And like, this would have been a fine place to ha- drop a sentence or two in there, but I guess man, I didn't write it. it ain't up to me. So that's fine. Um, uh, what else about the Jordan? What else jumped out at you guys about these dudes? Um, one thing I really liked is like there was like a tiny little story on one of the sides of the pages of these Dwarden like walking through a settlement and he's like this Dwarden's thinking to himself like, oh, these humans, they don't fully understand what we've done, like what we've built. We built this like city for them. And then this little girl is like, running around chasing him and thanking him for like everything he did. And he's like, eh, whatever. And like shrugs her off, but you can tell he's kind of like smiling as he's walking away. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. oh, okay. So they do like interact and we have these personal connections. Mm-hmm. Well, there's even a, a, a portion of the book where they just talk about how in, in the cities that have been around for a while, that the, the mixed races have been there for so long that the people don't even notice it anymore. Yeah. I thought that was interesting, you know, that, you know, then there's only conflict for, you know, extreme, you know, perspective cases or something like that. But in general, like, it's like nobody cares that you're walking down the street next to the elf or the dwarf or whatever else. Or, yeah. Yes. Contrary to what I just said about the Wanderers, uh, I would have been really sad if the Duarden had been pulled from this book. And I don't know why I feel one way about one or one way or the other, but it seems as if, I don't know, just in my head, these Duarden always made more sense, like with the cities, especially considering like how much the cities have like, clearly relied on them in, in a very like physical way um mm-hmm. and some of the yeah. other stuff just sort of jives with them like a, a gyrocopter makes sense to me to like be a, a support unit in a you know a human-centric army so um mm-hmm. yeah uh, maybe, maybe i just have uh competing priorities but the duarden i think do belong here and fit much better at least personally well and i think part of it narratively kind of ties to the connection between their Deities like Grungi and Sigmar were together fairly closely. They built the Stormcast together, and Grungi Mm kind of hangs out. I mean, he hangs out wherever he wants, but he shows up in his ear. Yeah, his smiths work there. Yeah, yeah. continuously. Yeah. Whereas, like Sigmar and Alariel, they have like their agreement. They're gonna. They were part of a pantheon in the past, and they're gonna fight chaos together. But there's a reason the Sylvaneth aren't part of the cities of Sigmar. Like they're still. They're not best friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just, we're not best friends. We're just good friends. Yeah. Um, Work acquaintances. Yeah. They're allies. Sure. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't have their full names uh, in their contacts list in their cell phones. Um, yeah. So like, and because of that, to sort of see the dichotomy between the Duarden and the elves, it makes me then kind of sad for the elves and that like, it'd be nice if there was some version of elves that were sort of uh, 
like I said before, like general integrated, like, yeah, more like, like cities of Sigmar elves, as opposed to what I think is kind of attack on dark elf situation. Dwarf makes sense to me. Dark elves don't. Um, which which is the same maybe one day, like these, these armies are always evolving. They'll always be growing. I mean, I'm literally from a product perspective, like GW will add more things to this. Um, and so like, maybe that's just next on the the list. Well, and I think part of that comes from like what you were saying before that they needed to change the descriptions of the dark elves to be more, yeah general but mm-hmm. they're still dark elf flavored whereas like the dispossessed they're just like generic dwarden flavor mm-hmm. and you can do anything you want with that whereas you're starting with dark elves and have to work your way back from that to an yeah. extent and by no means do i think the dark elves i mean they look cool i mean that's a cool thing like but it's a, oh, it's a distinct sure. vibe yeah, it's a very distinct yeah. uh, image um that the dwarden are not that like, as you just said yeah um other Duarden thoughts? I know you're a Duarden fan, uh, Josh. I am. I am. No, I think we've covered most of it. They, they have some fun little tidbits in there. But yeah, describing male, female toward and, and you know. True with the braids as opposed to beards and stuff, but nobody ever right, knows. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, how about a third race? One that we, I don't think, have ever talked before as it relates to Cities of Sigmar. But uh, we had some questions asking about ogres what um city ogres city ogres no less uh so let's start with a uh a a question from a patron of the show and also a local friend um armoire enthusiast uh seven one through six was taken um (laughs) do they talk more about uh, the ogres in or working with the cities and so listener you may may be baffled what are you talking about ogres in the cities those two don't go together well now they do um so how do we want to go about this do we talk about the universe or we just talk about the race broadly let's talk about let's uh, let's add add chrisling's question as well what what does it tell us about city ogres the same kind of question what are the attitudes between city ogres and ma tribe ogres like yeah. So, so let's, now I think we can. Jump yeah. In. Okay. So now, yeah, and we'll talk about just city ogres broadly. Um, what What did we learn about cities, city ogres, outside the fact that there's a new unit that involves the city ogre? Um, do we learn much much new about them? Um, I think like it doesn't explicitly say, but they're more common than like I would have expected with it just being one unit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a neat little story like from the perspective of a city ogre, which is neat. Um, but he's talking about how like he joined the military because he doesn't want to end up like his dad who like just doesn't move and eats all the time. So it means that there is these type of like already multi-generational ogre families living in the cities. Mm-hmm. And you can see why they want to. They can eat all the food they want. They don't have to kill like they don't have to do any work. They can just go buy food. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because it talks about these as second generational. Yeah. It's hard to buy food without a job, though, Will. I think we can all I attest mean, to that. If an ogre walks through and just starts <laughs> grabbing food, no one's going to stop. We're going to do, do anything. Right. That's true. Um, yeah. yeah. It's funny because it talks about him thinking his dad is going to, you know, the tragedy is he might be thin. So, no, it's it's the ogre's job to wander the realms and eat as much as they can and many different things as can. And and being in the army is a way to do that. <laughs> yeah, without getting too much, what does he call it? Uh, swivel eyesation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One of those parts. Don't, don't want to be civilized, I guess. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded of what we were talking about before, uh, Josh, when you mentioned all the Skaven, right? So as part of the stories, um, he's 
like just mowing down waves and waves in state Skaven. And he can hardly believe that like the, the Humies here have no interest in eating any of this stuff. And although, yeah, he doesn't love it, but like he can eat <laughs> as much of it as he wants. So that, that. Right. he's just exactly. chowing down on Skaven. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's funny. Like they kind of talk about, okay, how the, the process goes between, you know, the Fusilier major and, you know, the ogre and how they develop that. Sometimes it's one save the other, or sometimes they're trained together for a long time or, and uh, but you know that it's always it's bribery. You get to eat as much as you want, you know. Yeah. And, work with it. and how they train them, you know, with like one stop, two stops, meaning different things. And uh, so I thought that was certainly an interesting perspective on what the relationship is. And they talk about how it was first developed and, and who first developed it. And they were like just sitting on their shoulders, <laughs> trying to fight <laughs> in this swamp to kill these like crocodile things. And they're like, huh, we could do something more with this. And, yeah. And, <laughs> When the, uh, in the short story, the ogre is complaining about this pain in his back, <laughs> yeah. carrying this guy around. <laughs> uh, but it's, it seems as if it's just belly aching and that they do have like a certain, I don't, I don't know, relationship. And I like it at the very end where like the ogre is like eye in the scaven and the guy on his back is like, all right, you know what? Go ahead. You've earned it. We can wait. Yeah, yeah. So we'll wait while you eat the Skaven. Yeah. <laughs> so he knows He knows the score. That's fun. So, yeah. Uh, it doesn't really talk about, you know, any sort of perspectives of the city ogres versus Ma tribe. But I think the, the reference in terms of the ogre wanting to travel the realms to eat, you know, yeah. as many different things. I think that just portrays the similarity between the two. Yeah. yeah. That they're well, just more willing to work with humans. He speaks yeah. of the fear of getting thin, right? Which is funny. Because right. He very clearly is thinner. I mean, well, the, the model yeah. is very clearly thinner than the regular ogres. And so like, <laughs> it's a good, good point to, reference in the book gw because that's the uh -huh. first thing anybody who knows anything about ogres is gonna notice um and yeah. how do you guys feel about i feel like maybe this has come up before in other episodes or other discussions but how do you guys feel about the thin ogres i so i like it with the caveat of it well this is the second generation city thin ogre okay right. like if they take the same design and they say this is ogres now uh, I know, and, and I don't know if it's really thin. I mean, it's wearing a lot of armor and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, th I still think they're big. Oh yeah, like if you, I mean, we, I, I mean, I haven't seen the models next to regular ogres yet. Right, I, I would just assume the artwork. Like, yeah, yeah, I assume it's just looking at the base and how like the scale size next to a normal human, and I'm looking mm -hmm. at a, a normal ogre next to a normal human. I think it's probably like a bigger model. Yeah, but that's just yeah. because the current ogre models are so small. Older, like yeah. yeah, great, so. great. Yeah, no, it definitely looks bigger. I also want to put him next to uh, what's his face from Curse City, uh, Brutog the Corpse Eater. Uh, I'll take your word for it, sure. Uh, uh, just because I am using him as my conversion for oh. one, he's <laughs> sitting in front of me. And I guess also next to the what are they called the Kostargi the. Oh, Kasargi and Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yep. those are ogres too, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, um, zombie ogres. So th mm -hmm. those are all thin ogre versions. I want to see how they match up. Yeah. For a big if, if, if you're not going to match regular ogres, <laughs> then at the very least, I need you to match skinny ogres. Um, I, mm -hmm. I mean, you can tell whenever I ask a question of how do you, what do you guys think about this? It's a leading <laughs> question, and it's something I don't like. And here's an example of that. Yes, and then I'm not right. a big fan. Um, I understand the realms are vast and varied, and there's all sorts of different 
things that live in them. And you can give me a very good reason to justify why something looks the way it looks. But like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty black and white kind of guy. Uh, I like my things being the way they're supposed to be. I like my ogres fat the way God intended. Um, and so, uh, like an ogre should be an ogre should be an ogre. Um, and I feel that way about a bunch of different stuff in the movie. It's working out often. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and so I don't like things changing. I'm a, what is it? Grognard in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like these new fangled thin ogres. Yeah. Uh, so there, there, I said it. You can mark me down as thumbs down. Um, so be it though. They don't ask me. Um, let's see what else we got. I can't, any other ogre thoughts, feedback. Well, I didn't have anything else. No, no that's kind of good. I mean, we just have the one, ogre to talk about so there's not a whole lot of information i think the only other thing it's like less even about the ogre but i remember this popping up in the book of like the regular fusiliers getting mad because the fusil major doesn't have to march (laughs) Uh, but they can't really complain because they have to complain to the ogre (laughs) and no one wants to do that yeah (laughs) right um all right, so then they wrap up our conversation about other races besides humans. We got another question. Surprise. Uh, another one from Resident Sassmaster. They want to know, uh, can we expect, perhaps some fourth edition, uh, to move away from the non-human elements, or will there be instead having elves and Duarden more integrated with the, within the human factions? And so I think, let's, I'll paraphrase, do we think that the cities are going to continue to move away from those other races, or do you think it's just a matter of time before those other races get more integrated into what we know as cities of Sigmar army. What do you guys think? I think they had originally planned to move away, but after seeing all of the feedback, when they first announced that this was going to be a human centric release, they may be reconsidering and realizing they might make more money by integrating them more, more money. You think they care about money? Well, Gosh, no, they care about the story. They care about the story. Um, but yeah, just because like, I remember at Adepticon, they announced it and like, yeah, and questions from the crowd. Like, so wait, so what's happening to Warden and Elves? And you can see them like sweat on stage. Like, um, uh, <laughs> next question. Nothing. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. Yeah. What the big and, like, you can see it in their like hype posts. It started off as like, check out the new humans, the new human army to just like, Hey, here's how cities of Sigmar work. They're, they when they even talked about the models being squatted. They were like, "Oh, and if you have a, you know, a, a unit with a two-handed sword that's going away, you can use the elf two-handed sword model that's staying. Elves are staying, guys. Sword Dwarden. Are you happy? Do you think it's damage control a little bit? That's uh, that's maybe not damage control, but I hadn't pivoting. Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know, because, I mean, they make these things so far out, though. You know, I do think that perhaps the reaction was you know, not what they had expected. But, yeah. I mean, I don't think they could have rewritten. Well, maybe they could. I don't well, know. I don't think they rewrote anything for the book. Mm-hmm. But, like you said, they work so far out. So they're probably right. starting, maybe have think about it. started on the next one. Gotcha. gotcha. Like, hey, write this down. Add to right, right. Madison Dwarden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Josh, what do you think? Do you think they're going away from other races, or do you think it'll they'll circle back around to these other races at a later date? Um, you know, I think it, it actually was kind of my um, maybe misplaced expectation that when this was coming out, that we would actually see 
like elven and dwarven models within like the steel helms, you know, like like an yeah. integrated force. That that's I thought that would be an interesting change. You know, obviously you might still have your specialists, you know, like the dwarven clans and the builders and the, you know, you got the iron weld. But I, I thought it would have been really interesting to have. Oh yeah, we've got all these human models, but there are also the occasional elves and dwarves in the steel helms. Yeah, so. Kind of like how some yeah. Warcry warbands have, you know, mixed race right. things, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Sp- and I thought that would kind of show some of the integration that's happened over the hundreds of years that, you know, that they talk about. Yeah. I was hoping for that, too. Sure. I mean, that would have been, I think, best case scenario if they could have pulled that off. Um, I think that they will circle, but regardless of what their intentions always were, I think they probably will find ways to integrate. And this is back to the conversation of like general, but like integrate yeah. general elf and general Dwarden. And again, Dwarden are pretty general already. Right? But uh, the idea that like they could maybe serve as specialist units, they uh, are, I don't think they'll ever take the spotlight. They'll never be, you know, the front and center, but they'll just be sort of supplemental um, just as a way to like show off, let them, let the army do things that like you wouldn't expect, you know, a human to just be able to do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Though at the same time, you've, with the World Accord, you've sort of already proven that we can dabble in like that um specialist arena like right they're the hunters stealthy hunters which is kind of typically an elven thing not always but you know it could be um so i don't think they have to but i think they'd be smart if they did um to uh again just sort of serve as supplemental like add a little bit of wacky um to the army but then again i just said that and they're already doing a pretty good job adding wacky without using elves or dwarden oh it's wacky yeah so i mean I guess I I could see how they wouldn't. I maybe it's a it's a diff, the difference between a hope and an expectation. But I, I think they'll probably pad the, pad the army with you know, more interesting races uh, eventually. Fingers crossed. Anyways, um, yeah, I mean, including some Gollum kind or other stuff too. That yeah, be yeah. I, I think Cities of Sigmar has got the potential to be a particularly large, like. Not bench, diverse. but like a large, yeah, large yeah. and diverse. Like it, it, I don't. Some, you know, some armies, some factions are are just sort of destined to be particularly small ranges. I don't think that this this has no limits. Like it, 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 there's very few walls to sort of box this army in. Um, and so because of that, I think they have a lot of opportunity to get you know get creative with the things that they add. And I, they seem to want to do that more and more these days. So more and it's like they need to add like a lot. They added one city ogre, and now like. Moving forward, people are just going to be fine with city ogres being a thing. Yeah, true, true. Except for me. Well, and yes. I think one of the interesting <laughs> things, and I, I can't remember the original cities book. I think it just had five cities described in it, right? That you could play, um, like different rules. But I can't remember. Um, if that's no, true. it it had a was lot. It seven because we lost Phoenicia. I think it was seven because there were like okay. the three. I know. I think there was more. Because I know for Warcry, we have seven. and it, Yeah, it might have been seven for the original. But this has 11, 11 different cities. So I, I think it's definitely grown in terms of variety and the different characters, the characteristic narrative you can have around your city. Um, you know, so even if the diversity hasn't grown substantially, I think you just have more options in the terms of cities you can play now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think I'm counting seven from our previous notes of last time. Um, yeah, so that's, what I, that's what I think. That's why I think Warcry was seven because it was based off that original set. Was Hammerhall one? Because I'm just looking at the cities that I've seen carry over, and I'm already seeing eight, and then there were two that got squatted. 
Oh, so maybe Hammerhall was split. Yeah, I think Hammerhall might have been one, and then they split it. Okay, gotcha. I don't know. Um, all right, all right, all right. Um, any other it's a loaded, loaded statement? Any other racial thoughts? Um, no, just that like we have the races that have like models and like actual lore entries, but they will call out like in specific city entries like some of the races that are unique to there. Like Hammerhall, Axia has like. It says like the most. Like if it's an if it's an order race, you can find one in Hammerhall Axia. Is essentially like what it's trying to describe. The real melting yeah. pot. Yeah. yeah. It'll state which are battle line depending on who's leading it, that kind of stuff, just yeah. like the normal the battle tones do. Yeah. yeah. True, true. Um all right. While we're talking about how, you know, what it's like to sort of live and exist in, in these cities of Sigmar, let's talk about other other uh walks of life. I don't know, I can't think of the term. Um so uh, moving on, maybe we'll talk about the the cults. Umbrogan, How do you say that word? Umbrogan. Yeah, umbrogan is how I would say it. Nice. Yeah, Thank I think you. so. I don't know if it's right, but it's how I'm going to say it. That's uh, right. If anybody <laughs> asks, I'm going to tell them. The three of us have agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a newer thing, um, and I don't even know really where it came from. Um, this this new aspect. Um, I, I can fill it in after we get to the question. <gasps> okay, sure, sure, sure. Uh, this new aspect of Sigmar worship. And so, I mean, over the years, we've talked about a wide range, and that's the beauty of the moral realms and sort of how diverse it is and how, uh, depending on where you're from or what your culture is, how you look at Sigmar and how you, you know, see his embodiment uh, in, in the realms at large. And so there's um, there are these broad, varied cults. And one of the newer ones that we've found here is this cult of the wheel. Um do you want me to ask these questions, or do you want to do your thing first, Will? Uh, let's ask the question. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so, the first one, though, and then... Perfect. We'll do. So, to that end, hey, we got another question. Check this out. From Fredericks. Uh, they want to know, just how prominent is the cult of the wheel, really? And I like how we added, really. Uh, so, we have to tell the truth. Um, yeah. Will, did you get any uh, thoughts on that? So, it's become one of the like the main church they talk about in this book, um, surprisingly enough, because we had never heard about it before. Um, mm-hmm. It was never an aspect of Sigmar as far as we've been like aware of. He's got hammers, he's got thunder and lightning. Um, but he's that, got comets with he's got comets, more yeah. than one tail. Less than three, though. Um, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this cult is really like taken over. Uh, in the lore... It's taken over because it's like the great wheel of progress and the marching of the Crusades. Yeah. Um, and since the, the Dawn of time Crusades. as well, yeah, yeah, wheel of time. M- Meta narratively, though, um, and this is a, a shout out to Nuno who pointed this out to me when it was first announced. Uh, this might be based off of a, an existing real world uh, thunder god uh, named Tyrannus. T-A-R-A-N-I-S. He sounds nice. Who was worshipped in, like, pre-medieval Britain. Uh, also, like, Ireland, Gaul, and, like, areas of Germany related to Thor. So if you already thought that Sigmar was a Thor knockoff, he's now mm-hmm. stealing the wheel motif, motif from a different Thor knockoff. <laughs> um, which I thought is a nice deep cut if right. like that's what right. they're going for. If like, you know what? There is a thunder God of Britain and he has wheels. So we're adding wheels to our British thunder God. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Complete the set. All right. That's interesting. That's cool. Um, well, and that makes a lot more sense because, frankly, it, it never really the wheel never really jived with Sigmar for no. me up until this point. But I can see if it, if it had outside influences, then that I, makes more sense to me. Okay, cool. Um, right on. Uh, another question, if we're going to keep talking about cults, um, but Minerva's wanted to know uh, what is the sense that we get... No, Aaron, read, this, read the question. What is the sense we get of the different religions in play, particularly diversity within the cults, um, Morogan? Because... Um, like we said before, Sigmar can be worshipped in a wide range of things. Some people think he's a giant worm, I think. Yeah. Uh, yep. um, like, what does the book go into any, or spend any time talking about the interplay between the different cults or the different interpretations of Sigmar? I'm trying to recall, does it? No, I mean, the first, like, the introductory paragraph that's under the sacred cults of Sigmar, it says, The cults Umbergoin are manifold, each representing an aspect of the god-king's greatness. So they all represent different aspects. From the blessed Fulgurians to the ascendant pilgrims of the Great Wheel, the conviction and readiness to fight is vital. You know, it just says that there are so many of them, and it gives us this one particular example. Yeah, so. yeah. I gotcha. Uh, it's not in this book, but, like, when they were lighting people on fire in the Dawnbringers book, was that also uh, that was also a, due to a, a aspect of an interpretation of an aspect of Sigma, right? Yes, because it was like how a lightning bolt can start a fire. Okay, hmm. um, and they were just really into fire since they're in Akshi. Sure, that track. So I feel like they more like walked backwards into it. Like, okay, we like fire, right? And we worship Sigmar. How can we? Light ourselves on fire. <laughs> Sigmar gets mad. It's like he has a fire in his eyes. So then, like, that's, yeah, that's uh, fire Sigmar. Um, I like sunglasses, Sigmar, because he's cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. So, yeah, I don't know that they in, there's much interplay uh, across the cults. Yeah. As far as diversity goes, I think, I mean, if we're talking about all the races, I, 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 maybe the book mentions once or twice that the you know, the elves are dwarven, like, give due respect to Sigmar, but by no means are they, like, um, they're not Quiet. always, you know, directly, yeah. you know, disciples of him, uh, per se. Though I, some very well could be, especially I think those who live in Azir are probably more likely to be. Um, but, yeah, I don't know that yeah. there's much interaction across the country. There's not, in, like, in this book, and I think it's because this is more Dawnbringer-focused and the wheel is kind of, like, the big symbol of the yeah. Crusades, and right. I think I feel like that's why I was really hoping we were going to get some because that other cursed city priestess whose name I can't remember she was from the cult of the comet mm. and had like a unique um, design aesthetic that we hadn't seen before because mm-hmm. we're used to all the lightning bolt stuff it's like oh cool here's another cult maybe we'll see more and we haven't yet sure right sure yeah there's a little. Little uh, statement at the bottom of this this page: the wheel must often be oiled with blood. You know, so yeah. I think it's totally related to the Crusades and how they're grinding out there to get and build new strong points. But people are dying. Progress, you know, but you, progress must go on. So you continue to grind as the generations go through. You know, just so yeah. I think it's that everything's moving forward, whether whether that's good or bad. We're all moving forward. You know, so I think that's the main focus of this particular cult. And tied with that. And the new new character, of course. Yeah. yeah. I moved some questions around. Uh, if we're talking about sort of interplay between cities or, you know, factions or what have you, uh, 
Wes from the Discord had a similar question in that they wanted to know, is there any political intrigue between cities or within the cities themselves? And so we're talking about the interplay between cults. We didn't see too much of it. Do we see mm-hmm. much interplay between sort of the politics uh, between cities or within the cities? Um, do we see much of that in this book at all? Uh, oh. They, they mentioned a little bit about Harkoron, you know, Amalgard was taken over. And then because of situations, there's this political um, agreement that nothing will happen yet. But it does talk about the Amalgard rebels, you know, continually fighting with the Harkoron uh, occupants. So that's as far as I've seen. The best, best political intrigue is civil war. So nice. Good call. Um, I think the only other, like, interaction we have between cities is it does talk about, like, the person in charge of the Hammer Halls, like, trying to find a way to, like, balance that, like, having cities in one city in two realms. So I don't know if that's between cities, if you count them as two separate ones, or if it's the same city. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there is, like, some political issues there. Sure, sure. Um, I think a lot of this book, for better or worse, I would say better, um, is... He's likely to mentioned before is very downbringer focused, right? And so it's spending less time at home and more time focused on like abroad. And so yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of these sort of interplay between cities or cults or whatever um, would be sorts of things that would be part of like deep dives um, in the cities themselves. And I don't know that that's necessarily the focus of this book, though it very well could be, right? There will be future cities of Sigmar books as time goes on. And I wonder when yep. the Dawnbringers isn't as much the focus of what's going on. I wonder if that's maybe a prime time well, assuming any of the cities are still standing but um uh prime time to talk about that interplay between them um, yeah um and there is some internal city politics uh yes. which also comes up to another listener question tell me uh, from patron drake which is is there mention of dynamics between the azurite and reclaimed Dawnbringers? and oh boy um, especially in Hammer Hall with our new named character, Talia Vedra. She is a reclaimed, like, marshal of Dawnbringer Crusades, and she just does a straight up coup in Hammer Hall to make it more reclaimed focused instead of it being so Azerite focused. Well, she, I, was that her intent? Was that her intended purpose? No, 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 no. Her intended purpose was to slay some fools. Yeah, I was going to say chop some heads um, off is what yeah, her she, goal was. Yeah. What is it? She were, drops the greatest line that I just want to say, read out real quick. Um, she, yeah, she kicks open a door and yells, time's up, you bickering scumbags. And then just starts cutting people. <laughs> I love it. Uh, they had good reason. There were there were four individuals who, you know, and the story goes through it very well in terms of, you know, they were corrupt and, you know, trying to bring the downfall of the city in, in a variety of different ways. And, and, it's, and she's later uh, exonerated, shall we say, by, yeah. by like the Lord, yeah. you know, by, Lord uh, Celestin, who, who promotes her to first marshal uh, of, of Hammer Hall, actually. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Bastian Carthalos himself who yeah. showed up to do the very same thing she did, but just two minutes too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she, again, and it talks about the, you know, how their political connections could have delayed any trials for months to years. And so she, like, took matters into her own hands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's great. Yeah, very well done. Yeah, and that kind of touches on Minerva's question. Are there any development in the relationship between Stormcast and Mortals? particularly in day-to-day non-battle sense. 
you know, and, and it didn't give us a whole lot of perspective, but, you know, the Stormcast seemed to be more, you know, interacting, you know, and, and there's an advisory sort of role, even the one that was at the table kind of yeah. said, you know, this is not appropriate, but didn't stop her from doing anything, you know, so it's more, and some of the descriptions talk about them being there, supporting them, but being not part of the politics. So I think, I think yeah. that can, kind of continues. Well, and specifically with like Talia and some of the reclaimed, it says they consider her, what is it, a controversial figure amongst their Stormcast allies because of her veiled disdain for the Azerites. She's like, yeah, I don't like Azerites. They all suck. Anyone from Azir sucks. And then looks directly at the people made out of the magic of Azir. Yeah, if, they had, like, uh, if they had collars in that, in that, uh, in their armor, um, they would tug on them at them at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. She's she assaults the one that's at the table too, saying that you you've been what is it uh, reformed so many times? What's that? I can't remember the word. Um, when they had to be remade because they uh, reforged. Think reforged. Thank you. They've been reforged so many times that you don't remember your Axian soul. Or you know, so it was like, yeah. You yeah. Don't remember you were, you were a parcher. Is what she right. right. Yeah. You used to be a parcher. She's talking to um. What's his face? The Grim uh, Avengers yeah. Firestrike. The yeah. Right. Magister. Uh, and like you had said, Josh. Like he told her, like, "Hey, we don't do that here." And her response is, "Well, you could have stopped me. You right. waited until I was done." to say something <laughs> it was done yeah um and like it really i don't know you learn you without getting much adventist fire strike knowledge like you learn quite a bit about him especially considering the fact that carthalos was like had to roll up after the fact right like so like they're i mean they're both hammers of sigmar there's some sort of i mean he uh carthalos is the Lord Commander. That's what Lord Commander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lord, So like he's yeah. the head honcho, right? So he he's coming up to essentially clean up fire strikes, not his mess, but like he had a dude sitting right there. But Carthos was the one who had, who was going to come and do it himself. Um, yep. So, yep. I, mean, I feel like when for a guy who's a, who is nominally as important as fire strike is, we still don't know much about him. But this like this gives you a glimpse in terms of like the hierarchies and you know what his. Uh, how active he is, I guess. Yeah. Well, and it kind of talks a bit more about the hierarchies of some of the different subgroups because Carthalo specifically mentions he joined in because, quote, the Order of Azir has found. Oh, true. And we know the two members of the Order of Azir that found this um, from the Dawnbringers book. It's Callus and Toll. Yeah. So maybe they just don't answer to Aventus Firestrike and they answer to their commanders who passed it to. Bassian Carthalos, who just uh, decided to deal with it himself. Aventus Firestrike, mm-hmm. what would you say you do around here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I get like 15 solid minutes of work done a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, despite all this conversation that we're having here, I think it is a good, like, they really pulled off the uh, not overdoing talking about Stormcast in this book. I feel like it'd be very yeah. easy to like just pepper and stormcast every which way but like by no means they are they are not the star of this book even though yeah. it's you know uh, followers of sigmar type thing um and they very much are a distant second if that um in terms of focus of you know the things talked about here which you say yeah obviously Aaron, it's a city's book but like it's i think it's probably hard to do especially considering how stormcast are you know the poster children for the whole whole setting yeah. and so mm-hmm. they did a great job to ensure that i mean for better or worse humans uh are the focus of this thing. So kudos yeah, the to, them, to pull it off. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh, any other 
living at home yeah. type conversations as it relates to. I, I think the only other um, component I can remember uh, that we're they're talking about Azerite versus Reclaimed is when they talk about the wilder, wilder core. Uh, group, yeah. you know, they talk about them being mostly reclaimed and, you know, joining the city and deciding they can't really handle the walls and the city life. And so they become, you know, like, like they move out in the field and become the, you know, hunters and, and rangers sort of thing. So they still talk about the dynamic between the two, especially again, you know, with this particular character and, and Akshi. But uh, um, one of the other things as far as like day to day life goes, I kind of mentioned before, they have like the two page, just beautiful art spread of like the kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Dawnbringer has and it does talk about like the they call it the Vedra Reformation because of Talia Vedra mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't just that she like started taking over the Crusades and did the Castellite formation but it's like ensuring people are properly given supplies um, mm-hmm. that they the reclaimed are given the tools they need for success which Side yeah, note. Good boots, good armor, yeah. training, you know, ammunition. I say, yeah. Actual boots, because in the old Empire models, especially with like the free guild guard that we have, not every model had shoes on. Some yeah. of them were barefoot. So this is almost <laughs> like the lore reason for why they have <laughs> equipment. All right. And it also talks about like playing cards and like cigars and like tobacco and stuff. Right, right. And their supply <laughs> crates that they can use. Uh, I love. Um, how creative sometimes the writers get with justifying why things change in a battle tome or change for an army. Um, and yeah. whether it's, where did this new unit come from? It should have always existed. And they have to, they have to sort of jump around the fact that like, all right, well, this is why it wasn't here before or what have you. But this is an example of them having to justify, well, all right, well, you had this army. Why, why did the look and feel change? Why did, why did everybody get kitted out differently? Um, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. And so, like, this is yet another example of them getting, you know, com- coming up with a very clear story reason as to justifying why they're different. These reclaimed bec- are now mm-hmm. outfitted out correctly because someone went in and made it a point to, you know, advocate for their folks. So um, I love when they do that. I'm sure it's not easy to do. Um, and so um, kudos to them. I, I, if there's yeah. if there's something new in a battle tome, I'm always looking forward to the justification for it. They, they're not always winners, but when they are winners, I'm <laughs> right. for it. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always wonder what the what the brainstorming sessions must look like. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like one of those crazy, you know, theories. Where there's papers and lines everywhere. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> or sometimes the demigrists were just in the woods, and then and, right, and then right. they walked out. Yeah, <laughs> they come out as gargoyles. <laughs> oh, look at yeah, this. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, um, to, we had a couple questions talking, touching on some topics I think we'd, we've talked about before, but I want to get the questions in so folks don't think we forgot. Um, so RE Dawnbringers, uh, Chrisling had some Dawnbringer questions. Um, they wanted to know any examples of Dawnbringer Crusades being infiltrated by chaos elements all the time, I'm sure. Uh, were there any examples in the story, though? Or in the book, I mean? Um, there's a lot of, like, hinting at it but it's never like this crusade fell because of chaos because we didn't get much look at any specific crusade the focus has been a lot of like how crusades work yeah um but it does call out two examples with the named priestess of like there are rumors that her power comes from something more nefarious than faith Ooh. Mm-hmm. and the same yeah. thing with the alchemite uh, war forgers. It's like some people say that messing with alchemy is 
the purview of the change god, and they might be right. So it's like, yeah, there's like a maybe. <laughs> or, or, you know, that they might, they could easily fall. You know, yeah, you know, something like that. Kind of uh, well, I like, yeah, I like your speculation voice, and I now I want you to talk like that all the time, I think. So. <laughs> See, yeah, I should have done that for the story phase intro. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because they do talk about how the corn malice has gained such a level of recognition you know that people put pretty so sure much you just called it, it corn malice and i yeah, think that, i think coin, coin. A <laughs> slip, <laughs> whoops whoops Oopies. um you know that that it's almost like this religious artifact now you know because it can repel ghosts and stuff like that at certain yeah. points. um so you know i think in that sense there, you, there's probably not corrupted people wearing them I, I think it's more like once a settlement is established or while they're being attacked along the way then yeah then that introduces you know a chance for chaos infiltration and other stuff yeah. like that but i think not necessarily uh corrupted once they head out yeah well and it kind of makes sense you know if you want to corrupt as many people as possible you don't join the march that has a 30 percent success rate right <laughs> you wait until they succeed and then go over there right <laughs> very true um chris had another question they ask uh what are the rewards of being a dawnbringer crusade and i think the rewards are many um what what are some rewards that you guys can think of uh what would it or maybe what would it take you to join a dawnbringer hmm. crusade well those are two different questions i guess yeah but, um what are so, what are some of the rewards they talk about um yeah so the rewards they talk about like one if you join the crusade you kind of get like pardoned to an extent. You might like, well, we're not going to arrest this dude. He's going to go die on a crusade. So who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that I think more people would go for is you get land yep. um, at the the new city that is built if you're successful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a way for people to change their social status. Yeah, and right. that did come up in the, the Dominion novel. Is like, oh, yeah, everyone's going to have these opportunities. But then he realized everyone who kind of already had money and power buddied up with the people in charge of the crusade so they would maintain having all their money and power. So it's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I forgot about Dominion. That book is – we've been talking about Dawnbringer Crusades for so long. It, in my head, it's still like a very new like development, but that was a while ago. Um, oh, yeah. Not a deep cut, but just a, a long time ago cut. Uh, mm-hmm. One – reward i guess you could call it that i is newer to me i guess is the sort of reclaimed desire to get their lands back though too like mm-hmm. sure there's like yeah. a personal goal but like there's a certain baked in pride thing that you see a lot of right. where folks are just revenge freaking out to like or, yeah yeah i mean yeah revenge is another way to put it to say no no th- those those are our lands i will go get them back um, yeah right. and so uh, it's Yes, and then I get land to what you were saying, Will. But uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's more of a taking back what is rightfully yours. Um, right. Yeah. Josh, did you have any other rewards that jumped out at you? No, no, no. Uh, that's exactly what was uh, you guys mentioned it all already. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. <laughs> well, so, what about the one you would like to have? Ooh, what would yeah. it take for Josh to go on crusade? There you go. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I like to explore all the different things you get to see. But, you know, probably, you know, the land at the end of it, you know, just having some place to call your own. Uh, Will, what would it take you to go on a crusade? Yeah, I mean, the land is a good one. I feel like I would need to have the personal connection. Like, if I'm just a dude who was raised in Hammer Hall, I don't think I'd want to just leave Hammer Hall unless it was, like, a lot of land. 
But if I'm like a dude who was in a small town who had to flee to Hammer Hall and this is my chance to go back, I would go in a heart. Like I would do that for a lot less of like the monetary reward. Oh, sure. Well, that's nice to hear. Uh, my answer is nothing. There's no, you, 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 I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. do it for a second. I wouldn't even consider it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, busy, I'm busy that day. Sorry. Um, flat feet. Uh, all right. Um, and then we're, we talked about sort of the, the difference between the Castellite formation and whatever the opposite of that is. Uh, uh, they call but, it what? Fortress cities. Oh, sure. But that's just yeah, fortress just, city. I mean, that's just staying yep. at home. Um, yeah. that, that's yeah. just, uh, looking out your window. Um, but resident SAS master was asking, are those, are there those who still don't use the new tactics being in the new tactic that Talia came up with? I guess you could say the fortress city people aren't using the Correct. new tactic because it's not yeah. like on the move. Um, uh, Dwarden and elves don't use the new tactic. Probably not. Elves right. Because they probably don't want to carry the heavy shield around. And Dwarden probably because they think their armor is better than the shield. Very well could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if this is true, but they don't probably want to use a tactic come up that has been you know devised by like a puny human. They can do so much better yeah. than that. Uh, well, that's that's me editorializing though. Yeah, and funnily enough, the book does say someone who doesn't want everyone to be using this tactic, and that's Talia Vedra. <laughs> right. Yeah, because <laughs> this works here. It's not always going to work in other realms, in other places. They didn't care. They said, oh, it's great. We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they probably realized wooden shields are cheaper than metal shields, and they were like, done. <laughs> sure. At least, I guess, in Iran and Shaman, metal shields would be cheaper. Right, right. And probably lighter. And it depends yeah, right? different metals. <laughs> Did you guys get the sense, or did I make this up, or did I like read between lines that aren't there? That, broadly speaking, that the Fortress City formation really contained a lot of just like the old models, like it was just old stuff. Yes. And the Castellite formation predominantly was made up of new stuff. Correct. Yeah. So it, I wanted to make sure I wasn't looking for like artificial divisions that like weren't nope. there. No. Nope. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that was definitely one of the distinctions they've made. Yeah, that's why I said at the beginning of like this feels like the Dawnbringer Crusade book because that's what right. the new models are, and it's like it's the focus. Yeah, it's like yeah, we still acknowledge the fortress city, the former pure cities of Sigmar. Like those still exist. They still all of those units are still here, but we're going to talk about the Crusades because they're the new hotness. Yeah, makes for a more interesting book though. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So, hey, speaking of the new hotness, you guys want to talk about some new stuff, new units, possibly? Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, all right, we've got a handful. I, we, uh, we probably won't touch on all of them, but I'd love to hear some of your favorites. What are some of the new things in the book that you guys were really digging? Uh, in no particular order. First come, first serve. Um, I like the Alchemite Warforger. As the you know, the model looks really cool, and then reading the description of it in the book, uh, I thought was fascinating how they've you know the dwarves have helped them build this cauldron, and they're using of course gold magic you know to to kind of pull these relic cubes out and change you know the armor of the of the units they're supporting and and hurting the units that they're fighting against, and I, I thought that was a really interesting. I mean, we've known about gold wizards and things like that, but uh, it's an interesting way to have it incorporated. And I think the model looks fantastic. I agree. Um, is there a battle? There's not like a battle mage for Chaman currently, right? Like specifically made for? No, 
Not really. I wonder if this I is think like this is kind of the first yeah uh, iteration of that. And to that end, I wonder if they'll do like I mean over the years if they'll do like more not just like battle mage you know a bright wizard or something like that, but like something that is uniquely specifically from Akshi or from Hish or whatever. Um, in the same way that this guy is a you know metal wizard because um, that's way yeah. more interesting than just like robed bearded dude with staff like having him be like this bespoke thing is is pretty cool yeah. i'd love to see more of them yeah because like you're because like, you can have a a battle mage of shaman still yeah. mm-hmm. you can still yeah. have your robed wizard but you're right like this is way cooler looking sure yeah who, yeah who'd and specific yeah. yeah and i think it's like, like a, the, the first model we've had of one i think we've got yes wizards represented from a lot of the other lords of magic so what what is what's uh, one of your one of your fave new things um, I'm going to say that, I mean, I have a few, but I'm just going to start off with the free guild steel helms. Mm-hmm. Um, they just have a really cool, like unique design. And I feel like when you change the design of the base level human unit, you kind of change like a lot of the themes of the setting. Cause now we know what a, humans look like. Um, and I think it's like a really cool look, but mostly I wanted to call out the fact that every unit has a battle priest. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just like your standard bearer, your champion, and like a musician. These are people so guided by faith that there is a priest. Every tenth man is a priest. Um, yep. And, I and think they do have really, a standard bearer. Yeah. And they do have a standard bearer, yes. And a leader, too, um, don't they? They have a, and a leader. In arms, too. They just, so like, they just replace like, magic, I mean, music with prayer. I was going to say, yeah, does it like mm-hmm. take the place for the musician, kind of? Um, but I think that's it really highlights the themes of like these are these are crusades, so they're going to be priests since it is inherently like a type of religious endeavor. Yeah, it's or that they need faith to get them through it because it's so trying. Yeah. <laughs> and then also it gives them like cooler rules than just being humans with sword. It's like they use that faith like in their war scroll, like to help them do stuff. And I think that's that's a cool little bit of flavor they have. Yeah, agreed. I agree. How about you, Aaron? Uh, I think my faves are probably the Wilder Wildercore, Wilder Wildercore, Wildercore. Yep. I say um, Wildercore, Wildercore, mm-hmm. like wildebeest. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's not yeah. how you say that. Um, <laughs> but uh, these are my faves. So first of all, do are we led to believe that these are a Warcry warband? Yep, they are. Gotcha. They they had the Warcry symbol on like the announcement. Gotcha. Okay. Actually, technically, they had the Underworld symbol during the stream. I I saw that. But their social media used Warcry. Sure. Regardless, though, I think they're pretty. If if for no other reason, they're probably closest to the closest thing to Wood Elves uh, that are in the range. But um, it's uh, some some hunters that you know sort of serve as scouts and you know stealthy reconnaissance folks out in the woods they are reclaimed uh, i think we are i mean we touched on a lot of what makes them stand out order yeah but they have dogs that are really good at sniffing weird stuff out i think uh what do they say they're good at also like sniffing out like maybe it was an undead or demons or something like that but the point is is like the supernatural um these dogs have been trained to like uh give um their masters like a heads up and uh they can't sleep in regular beds anymore so they need to be out in the in the wood not anymore in the first place they need to be out in the woods and so i don't know i just it's it's such a uniquely reclaimed thing like it, it's mm-hmm. it really highlights the difference between i don't want to say civilized and not civilized that's the wrong way to look at it but uh that's right yeah they're zirian that's right. versus reclaimed yeah. reclaimed side and so i would love to see more 
units or, or just de- uh, depictions of sort of that dichotomy between the two because it really highlights the difference. Um, and I think that's just a fun bit of, bit of lore. So yeah. they look really cool too. I will uh, definitely be picking them up. I wonder if they'll be part mm-hmm. – wait, if the because we don't know yet, I guess, if they'll be part of like a, a box like a lot of the – I think so. Warcry. Yeah, I, sus- I suspect the – the most, the two, they, the, the, uh, crew boys and oh, yeah. the cool boys, core, yeah. I think they previewed. Um, so I'm guessing they come together in some well, sort of box. So actually not the rain of the parade. They did show like their release, like time, like roadmap. And it did show like order and destruction being separate right. boxes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Instead of one big box. So I think they're going to come out at the same time, but I don't think we're going to get like a standard box. Nice. box. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. But those are my favorite types of boxes, though. I know. Because they're <laughs> good terrain. But they're more expensive. Yeah. The more yes. expensive. What's money? I mean, you, you can't take it with you. Yeah. I'm going to spend my last penny the day that I die. Um, <laughs> no, that was weird. Uh, all right. Well, let's on, keep on, on going. Cause it sounds like you guys got more. Um, well, what, mm-hmm. what are other favorites? Uh, jumped out the of Command Core. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to say. It's so Yeah. Cool. I mean, it's hard not to. There's so many <laughs> really cool things in this Command Core. The fact of all that they've added like this HQ unit, but yeah, oh, it's amazing stuff in here. Yeah. What are some of your favorites uh, in that core? Because there's it's a varied. Oh, the Arch Knights look really, yeah. really cool. With the, yeah. They're like the bodyguards of the of the marshals. Um, I really like the Soul Shepherd and the Corpus yeah. Somni. <laughs> right. When I first saw this, I thought it was a ghoul because um, it's the Soul Shepherd <laughs> is basically like. I don't know if he's a wizard, if he's a priest, but he's someone who... He's a priest, yeah. Okay. He can guide your soul, and in Lethus, they take it to Morda. Um, and I don't know if that's how all soul shepherds work, but he basically makes it so Nagash can't get your soul. Um, and he's got this cool little, like, zombie-looking dude with yeah, a flute thing. playing music. <laughs> and it's just such a cool little thing to add. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and they describe the... The corpus or was it uh, somni? As you know, it makes this piping noise, but you only hear it when you're dead, and so it's supposed to help guide the souls to the you know the soul shepherd, so he can he can capture them yeah. or, or guide them to the right place. So, so that's kind of interesting. It just helps guide the souls away from Nagash. Yeah. Well, and it even says like undead creatures shy away from these guys. So like, right. if you're in Shayish on a crusade. I'm, I can just imagine like people like slowly inching closer and closer to them as like the march goes on. Right. <laughs> we know we'll be safer here. Yeah. <laughs> um, one aspect of this command core has prompted a, a listener question. Yes. Um, patron of the show, Armor Enthusiast 7. Again, not one, two, three, four, five, or six. Uh, they ask, uh, do they expand on the gargoyle gargoyleans? Man, why am I having a hard time tonight? More than we have seen in the article on Warcom? And if so, which ones look or sound the most interesting or cool? I didn't read the Warcom article, so I don't know if this is more or less than what was in that article. Do you guys know? Um, slightly more, not much. Well, what was in the Warcom article slash so the book? The, the Warcom article mentions that they are kind of related to incarnates brought about by the right of life that Lariel did and that they're like the realms made manifest that surge out people of faith. Makes and the book has all of that. Um, but the book also includes notes of like 
or they are mascots for certain units and they they really are the realms trying to cleanse themselves so it's almost like approval from the realms themselves for these crusades and fighting back the undead and chaos and it even goes as far as mentioning that these little dudes um will take on a bloodthirster head on if no one stops them yeah they won't yeah. win but they'll go for it yeah they hate chaos so much yeah <laughs> yeah um and so like the model in this unit looks like a lizard dog type thing but we know that gargoylians i think i got it right um yep. mm-hmm. they come in varied shape and sizes. So we've got the dog-sized ones, but a lot of units just have like, it looks like a fish with legs on their base, or one is like a tiny head with legs. Right. Um, Or there's a (laughs) snail with legs. They just put legs on things, um, is what I'm realizing. (laughs) There's like the duck-billed platypus, but with a a tiny ridge. So many ways. (laughs) Tongue. Um, uh, Yeah. Very cool. So... Which one's your favorite? We'll we'll go around the horn. Uh, I'm going to go with the snail with legs. Sure. Just because my mind immediately went to like, okay, if these are mascots for units and there's a snail with legs, there's a unit out there that's like the 27th running snails. And they (laughs) they have the running snail on their banner. They have a slogan. They like paint up all their shields to be running like just a little snail themed unit of steel helms i think the snail has shoes where did he get shoes from right like it <laughs> you know the, the you know the people the steel helms are gonna help support the little guys i guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what shoes though josh what's your favorite gargoyle uh, i've got to go with the fish with the legs because it it for me it, it totally looks like some of the imagery in the old mordheim book you know and some of the mm, yeah the banners you know the they come around the pages of the book there was fish with legs on those, you know, and uh, it's totally, I think, a reference to that. All right. Um, I like the little tonguey dude, the platus puts guy with his tongue sticking out. I think he's my, he's my favorite for no other reason. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think he's down to party. Um, yeah. um, and I know this wasn't a question, but the, the least cool is the tiny head man. <laughs> he, I don't know why he gives off vibes that tell me he deserves to be in jail for his crimes. <laughs> He just looks guilty. <laughs> I don't know what that one looks like. I got to find him. That's funny. <laughs> it's like if you ever see like someone wearing a coat, like in fantasy with like a, a high leather. Um, oh, yeah. I don't like that guy at all. I yeah, like, like he looks weird. <laughs> he's like he's wearing creepy. He's, he's wearing clothes for some reason, but he's just a head. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I hope I hope running snail man runs him through. Get out of here. Yeah. I don't. He doesn't belong here. Um, also the, the, the lizard dog guy, he's pretty legit too. I know it's, oh, yeah. it's kind of lame picking like the, the main one, but he's still pretty neat. Um, all right, let's keep it going. Keep it going. Uh, what else we got? Any, uh, any other favorite new units? Keep them coming. Oh, well, obviously the, the fusel major on Oric war Hulk is pretty sweet. Uh, the model is fun. Yeah. If I think, uh, you know, having the person being carried around by an ogre is, is certainly going to be an interesting centerpiece in the line. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I respect the audacity, even if I, even if I don't necessarily, I don't dislike it, but I just, it's not, it's not my fave, but I do love that they really took a big swing. So kudos to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a specific unit, but one thing I love is the free guild marshal with relic envoy. 
Yeah. I just like the relic envoy because it's like a kid, like a yeah. like a mid teenager just by the looks of it. And then the fusiliers also have like a kid carrying ammo. So I think the the sculptors are finally confident enough that they can do like different ages of models. And they're kind of showing like this is the new young bright crusades, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed going out. Oh, wait, no, we have kids in this war. Oops. Yeah. Yeah, well, it says you know, every man, woman, and child has to put in and do everything, you know, building yep. stuff, supporting, defending. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other faves? Um, we're going to keep going. Nope. All right. Speaking of favorite things, um, we talked about how there's a lot more cities sort of highlighted in this book, and it's kind of a non sequitur, but here we are. Um, I'd be curious to know. We don't. We definitely aren't going to go through all of them, but I'd love to know. Like of the, what did we say? Eleven. Yeah, it looks like it. Of the yeah. eleven mm-hmm. cities, 11. which one is your favorite? That's an Aaron question. That's an Aaron listener question for you guys. Favorite city of Sigmar highlighted in this book? Uh, hey, Josh, you go first this time. Which one's hmm. your fave? That's uh, tough. That's tough. Um, I've always been a fan of Living City, just because I, I like the. Uh, I had Sylvaneth for a while, and I think that the, the idea there is interesting. But I think the, um, I learned a lot more about Lethys in this book, and it kind of yeah. you know I thought it was very interesting, and uh, so I'll probably pick that over my as, as my favorite. Although Miss Haven is a close second. Yeah, it's pretty cool too. Um, what about Lethys stood out to you? Um, well, I, I think it was. I mean, I, I first learned about it when it was talking about you know um, you know the that it was a storm vault and it got busted open. But I think it's the fact that, uh, that Mordra, you know, that Mordra, the, the goddess or God, I can't remember if it's a goddess or God, but, uh, you know, is still alive, you know, had been hinted at in one of the previous books and, and, and this evidence is here. It's like, Oh, okay. They're actually keeping this God alive and it's, it's protecting them. And they've also got, you know, they've made these amulets and things that actually protect people, you know, you know, they weren't sure they would, but, you know, they found ways to fight the night hops and other stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of interesting aspects to them having living in Chaish surrounded with everything Nagash has got going on and still persevering. Yeah. It's a great example of a city that like adapted to the realm around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Hey, well, what's, uh, what's your favorite, uh, city so far? Yeah, so for me, I'm going to go with Greywater Fastness that existed before. And I kind of said the thing about Lethus being good at adapting because Greywater Fastness I love because it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Almost every other city talks about like how they learn to like work with the realm and like use the realm to their advantage. And Greywater Fastness is, yeah, we're in the realm of life, but we're going to shoot everything and we're like, they're like corrupting the land around them. They created a ghoul mayor. Like <laughs> they're at war with the Sylvaneth, sort of. Like there's peace. The Sylvaneth will allow traitors to go in and out. But other than that, like if you step out of line, the Sylvaneth will kill you. Um, and then on top of that, they a lot of like the Cog Fort and Cog City stuff is tied to Greywater Fastness in this book. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of want the cities to go in the future i was hoping it was this book but mm-hmm. it was not um so yeah i just like like that idea of the steam tanks and now they have golem mercenaries the the copters and everything like i like that there's a, an hq where all of that is kind of being pushed forward narratively yeah that makes sense um i think i want to go with 
this isn't even necessarily my favorite. I'm cheating here, but I, I, I have always had a spot in my heart for Excelsis, uh, despite the fact that I think one of the coolest aspects of the cities of Sigmar is how they take on the, uh, the characteristics of the realm that they are in oftentimes, not always, but many of them do, especially the ones that aren't in Akshi or Gyran. I feel like those yeah. are, they end up being a little bit more unique in their own right, but not necessarily unique related to the, the realm that they're in for the, for the most part. However, Excelsis is another example of that in that it is the hallmark city in Gur, but it's not necessarily all that Gur like the thing that really stands out about Excelsis is the fact that it's got the spear of malice in it. And there are all sorts of like prophecies and glimmerlings and stuff like that, which I'm sure we've talked about at length. Um, so it would be cooler if it was more Gur like, but it isn't. However, the thing I like about it is relatively meta in that I don't know what the goal for Excelsis was, you know, way back in 2015 or 2016. But it really feels like Nick Corse put Excelsis on the map with that um, City of Secrets book. And yep. from there, it seems yep. like it's really evolved into such like a post, um, well, like a, a, a banner City of Sigmar at this point. So much has happened there. It's, it's proven to be so important. And I never would have predicted that it, that would be the case from sort of where it started. It was borderline destroyed for the first time in that you know novella that was written, and I really like to see how uh, it, it sort of came up in the world and ended up being such like an important place. So much so that like the, the ed, exactly the end of Broken Realms really hinged on Excelsis, and so I don't know mm-hmm. just to see more so than almost. I'm sure people could prove me wrong, but more so, well, I guess Amblegard would be a great example. But um, <laughs> as far as terms of cities that have evolved and that have had a storied history that we've watched with our own eyes, um, I think really is what made Excelsis uh, stand out to me. So that's what I like about it. Yeah. Um, uh, any other, we won't spend too much time, but any other notes, things that really you can't help but say about some of the other cities that we really want to bring up? Um. Just that, like, there's more cities in this book than the previous book, but there's not any new cities because we've got a like things like Lethus was added in Forbidden Power, uh, Excelsis, Settlers Gain, Mist Haven, they were all added in the Broken Realm series. But it is nice to see them like not treated as like outside cities, but they are a part of like that core group now, mm-hmm. yeah, right. One, I love that every city or every realm, but Azir has now a city, like which yeah. I think is important. Like that's that's I think vital. So kudos to them. Uh, neat. Um, all right, this is where we talk about next. We talk about special characters. Um, I think we've talked at length about Talia. Is there anything we're missing other than her her Manticore sweet name, which I don't have in front of me? It's it's awesome though. What is it? Um, Infernadine. Right. Infernadine. Uh, cool Manticore name. Yeah. yeah, you heard it here. First. Um, we talked about her at length. The one thing we, the book doesn't say that I really wish it did, is say exactly where she's from because it says she's from the Parch and she's like a she was a reclaimed mercenary. Yeah, who then sort of took over the Crusades. Mm-hmm. The book also calls out the city of Edessa, which has existed for a while, and there are yeah. the lionesses of Edessa. And we have the lioness of the parch, and the book just mm-hmm. won't tell me that she is from there directly. <laughs> I, I just wanted it to be like originally uh-huh. from Odessa. She not like. <laughs> right. Can, I, can right. I just tell you right now? Would that be okay if I told you that right now? I I'll accept it. All right, nice. <laughs> perfect. 
um, any other Talia facts that we don't have? Well, I thought it was interesting. The, the manticore has feathered wings instead of bat wings. Because typically you see them in art, you know, with, with bat wings. Yeah. It still looks awesome. I think it's them differentiating chaos manticores from non-chaos manticores, maybe? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, it seems nicer, I guess. Yeah. Besides, you know, that scorpion tail and all that, but so be it. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a cool friend. She's got a friend on the council, too, who I'm looking for the name real quick. Catrique uh, Le Guillon. Yeah, right? Um, so yeah. she's got backup. Uh, and then also, I can't think of it, but the spy master who appeared in the uh, uh, short Zane, story. Zane Delorius, um, the yes. hidden hand. He's, and, <laughs> He just turn, he inclines his mask and wags a finger. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Uh, uh, uh. don't, don't try it. He's friends with Callus and Toll as well. So. Oh, good, good. Well, yeah. good. Uh, he, he keeps good company, that's for sure. Um, a special character we have not talked about, which we really ought to, is mm-hmm. uh, Pontifex Zenestra, the matriarch of the Great Wheel. Listeners, you'll remember that whole religion we were talking about, the cults of the Great Wheel. It has a, a matriarch, a pontifex, and that's this Zenestra. Um, what do you guys know about this uh, this sassy lady? Yeah, I know that her model is just like a, like a cool little throne, just like on a bunch of wheels. She's rolling it. Oh, wait, sorry. Let me look at this. Oh, no, she loves wheels so much, she doesn't use them. No, we, I mean, there's just a couple wheels in the decoration, but like very few wheels yeah, on this yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, to see the sacred emblem besmirched by mud and filth would not do it all. God, no. So instead, she'd rather have, I think they call them, I don't know, they're polite in saying, you know, thick, uh, thick boys uh, or, yeah. or or ladies, I think, too, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. carrying her around. Yeah, and they, they last a month before they turn old and die, and then she has to have new yeah. ones. Yeah, Which is they, great because it shows there's so many different head options for the people carrying it. So you could, like, magnetize them and then just, like, swap the heads between games and show that it's <laughs> so new people. Die. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so she loves wheels. Uh, she's kind of power, incredible powerful. And she's also incredibly old. Like, she was... A grand, a great grandma, like when the Realm Gate Wars happened, and everybody's like, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. Like she shouldn't yeah. be this old, um, or she no. shouldn't, shouldn't no. still be alive. That is, uh, like Aqua Garanis, which I think recently we've discovered keeps people alive for a long time. I feel like that's a relatively recent development, um, but even that's not enough yes. to explain why she's still out there kicking mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. Although she was apparently supposedly touched by Galmoraz. Oh, and yeah, that might be why Ooh. it was yeah. in some way. Or she's the changeling. Um, yeah, or she's got some other mm-hmm. like sneaky stuff going on, right? Everybody, that's what Will was saying yeah. before that like speculation as to like what's going on with her. Yeah, because it says like there have been times where she's been just like straight up shot and like was fine or hit by Skaven assassins and walked it off. Mm-hmm. But she carries a skeleton on the like backside of her little throne, sitting in the opposite direction that has all the same scars as her. Mm-hmm. Um, and as friend of the show, Mark Orlando has said, he just has asked, not as a question for the show, but just in general, asked, like, is she just Dorian Gray? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Which I think so, yeah. <laughs> and, this, and the skeleton's awesome, by the way. Like, that's a particularly oh, yeah. interesting part of her model. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. She's, she's pretty baller. I'm into her. Um, not like that. Well, maybe like that. It's tough to say. Uh, so, um, any other Pontifex Zenestra thoughts? Uh, just that she 
I mean, she doesn't walk the walk. She has someone else walk the walk for her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh But when she does talk the talk, like it does, like she has such divine power that it does like help people. So yeah, she's not just Pelican will explode with lightning around it and like spokes from a wheel or something like that. I think it was exactly. Yeah. So it's not just like she's just like this figurehead who's who's like serving a role in the cities. She actually is out there like doing things um, mm-hmm. and is wielding this immense power. Yeah. And so and I think that kind of represents like she is obviously blessed by Sigmar because she's wielding lightning and everything else and it destroys evil. So is she corrupt? Is she not? Is there something else going on? You know, yeah. That's One big misunderstanding, that's for sure. Right. Um, right, cool. Uh, any other, and we, we sort of talked about the Witch Hunters, which I think are the only other names in this book, mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong. Are, yeah. are there any other special characters that folks want to talk about? Uh, no, I think that's it, which is yep. weird because the rules like will call out like, oh, this applies to named Dwarden units, but there aren't any. Mm. Uh-huh. So I'm... Yet. Confused, yeah, yet. And or, I'm just like, okay. Gotrick. Or the White Dwarf. Uh, oh, true. But he wouldn't get, like, faction abilities. Oh, I, I mean, I didn't look at the rules, so I have no idea. But Oh, yeah, yeah. Still, that's not for, how could you? How could anyone forget about Gotrick? Um, true. All right, well, in that case, maybe we'll ask a few more, just a couple more questions. Just a little bit longer, guys. We're almost done. Um, just a few, uh, yeah, here's one from, here's one from Chris Lang. They want to know, uh, man, it's breaking my little heart. Uh, they want to know, How's my cousin in Anvilgard doing? Are they well? They didn't reply to the last letter I sent them. Chrisling, Anvilgard is mentioned, or rather, Harkiron, but just yeah. insofar as that the sort of, there's a, I guess, a ceasefire kind of, or rather, Sigmar's not doing anything about his city getting stolen like a punk. Um, and there's still probably, you know, infighting there. I, I, I believe it mentions or, yeah, yeah, or at least we know about it. Units are hunting down the rebels that remain. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting because even when Marathi took it in Broken Realms, like, Harkaran got its own City of Sigmar, like, section. Mm. Yes. And now they've just done away with that. Like, now yeah. it's 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 no longer resembling anything like a City of Sigmar. Right. I'm kind of wondering what their plan is. Daughters like, of Cain. Yeah. yeah. Is this, was this the end goal? Like, is this as far as they plan on taking it? Or is there, like, more to that story, I wonder? I, or is it a classic, they'll pick it up when they feel like it? Probably. I think it's a pick it up when they feel like it. I think it was the whole making her a goddess. Yeah. Oh, sure. I, I guess maybe yeah. this, the city was like after the goddess thing, right? So like oh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it was not tangential, but like supplemental. It was an epilogue towards that yeah. storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and is like, is this just... Right, this, right, is this, right. Is, maybe. is this specifically the status quo? Just this now like infighting and like the... Um, mm-hmm. Or I don't. Know, it doesn't matter. We'll we'll find yeah. out yeah. in due time. Um, maybe maybe then, a box game. Ooh, the yeah, Rebels maybe. of Anvilgard. No, see, yeah, I was hoping that's where like Warcry would go to, like mm-hmm. gang gangs of Anvilgard. It could be a great yeah, it'd be a great <laughs> setting. Absolutely. Um, also, as to why your cousin didn't reply to your letter, you do need to change the mailing address yeah, to Harkiron instead of Amblegard. Sure, um, sure. So that's that's probably the only reason they're probably fine. You'll only. Get, yeah. You'll get a return to sender in probably six to eight weeks, and then you'll be able yeah. to you know, rectify it then. Um, all right, another question. Another uh, our more enthusiast patron of the show. Uh, they they want to know, what city would you live in? Um and then I'll, okay, no, I forgot what they're yeah. doing here. Now I remember. <laughs> which city would you visit? And which would you destroy 
He wants to know uh, if we F Mary kill a city. Um, so I know we talked about our favorites. We'll do it real quick. There's no wrong answers. Live in, visit, destroy. Uh, Will, will you go first? Okay. Um, oddly enough, live in is not going to be my favorite because yeah. Great Water Fastness probably sucks to live in. Yeah, no thank you. I would probably want to live in Settler's Gain because it seems like the most peaceful city, so to speak. In order for something to mess with you, they have to go through the Lumineth. So that's where I want to live. Yeah, but what if the Lumineth are going to mess with you, though? I mean, you do. Oh, they will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> true. Very true. I mean, if they if they take me to the tower to make me more smart, I'm good with it. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Brainwashing. <laughs> um, visit. I'm going to go to Tempest Eye. I just think the view from up there has got to be amazing. Uh, just looking down from the mountains on top of everything. And then destroy... It's a tough one. I'm going to say only Hammerhall Gyra. What? Not not the Akshi side. I, and I only say that because I feel like Hammerhall Gyra and Living City have too much in common. Do you want to eat? Yeah, true. You just you just start with the whole... Fine. Yeah. I'll switch it to the Living City. Okay. <laughs> I just feel like they're too similar and they both shouldn't exist. It's not going to be living no more, that's for sure. All right, Josh, what's your uh, uh, live, visit, destroy? Uh, so I think I would live in the Living City myself and it's right uh, there in the name yeah yeah it's true yeah, yeah. um i'd probably visit excelsis just to see the spirit malice you know and uh you know what the hell the renovations are coming um and if i was going to destroy anything maybe vindicarum because it was almost destroyed already sure oh yeah just oh, it's pretty cool it it'd be easiest yeah they've been through enough already <laughs> vindictive and vindicarum all right uh where would i live i'd live in hammerhall gyra it seems like between there and Ashy, I'd be as far away from, I could get myself as far away from the walls as possible. Like it is like, you know, protected at the heart of a city. Uh, if I was going to visit somewhere, I'd visit Hammerhall Aksha because that seems like the safest place to travel to. Like that, that journey is the safest <laughs> journey probably. Uh, and if I were to destroy one, I would destroy Greywater fastness because how dare they? I mean, first of all, how dare they? Um, <laughs> It's already. It seems as if from the outside yeah. looking in, it's already borderline destroyed. Anyways, um, yeah, from an aerial <laughs> view, it looks like ruins. Doesn't look great. Um, all right, let's keep them going. Uh, so this is the first question from Domir, patron of the show. Domir, um, thank you very much. Uh, they ask, uh, what kind of city, uh, or what is a kind of city you'd like to see? So if you, what's a city that's missing out there that um, you'd like to see? Um, he follows up with, or they follow up with another question saying, with the cities that across exist across two realms, namely Hammerhall, uh, what is a realm combination that you think would be the most interesting? So hmm. two answers here I'm looking for. What kind of city would you like to see? Dream one up for me. And then pick two realms that would make for an interesting duo city um, across realms. Uh, this time it's now Josh has to go first. Sorry. Um, uh, I was just thinking it might be, might be really cool. I haven't heard about it yet. Is a, a city that would combine elements of Gairan and Shaman, you know, mm. then you can, then you can have these Ooh. really neat alchemical processes where you've got unique plants, but also the minerals and the, you know, and the, and the particular, you know, aqua granis and the, the mercurial element of Shaman, you know, to, to do all sorts of interesting magic. Right on. And that's very, uh, very Mirrodin like. That's Magic the Gathering setting. Um, Will, what type of city hmm. would you like to see? And or what uh, realm combination would you like to see between two? Excuse yeah. me, cities. So, type of city I would like to see is a city that, like, isn't afraid to work with 
aspects of other grand alliances. So something like what Ulfenkarn was before Radikar showed up or like mortals and the undead kind of lived together to a certain mm-hmm. extent right. or something like a city that pairs with like destruction a little bit, maybe like a city with more ogres or maybe a city with some oryx in it, which also oddly enough in the cursed city novel, there are oryx living in Ulfenkarn. So that's pretty cool. So maybe just Ulfenkarn is the city. Like, I think he's right. It right. sounds back. like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, then a city across two realms. One, I just, hmm, I think anything paired with Gur would be super cool. Um, but I'm thinking like Shaman and Gur. So you just have like almost giant monsters, just like fully plated with armor and with sort of like how the people are on being carried by the Ogor War Hulk with the Fusil Major. Just having like those on top of like a Stonehorn fully plated or something. Mm-hmm. Just combining the the industrial aspects with the giant monsters. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's cool. Um, all right, uh, city. I'd like to see. Uh, I would like to see a oh, um, a smaller Azerian city. Which is to Ooh. say, I feel like a lot of the big name Azerian cities we do not spend very much time. In. in fact, I'd like to also see those ones too, but those sort of exist already. Um, so I want to see what it is. What what does a suburb look like in Azir? What is like? I mean, maybe a village. I mean, again, we're now we're now we're losing the definition of city, I suppose. But um, <laughs> in that, like, what does it look like to live in Azir but not be in one of those big major capital, um, like, megapolis, like, mm-hmm. urban settings? Um, yeah. Because I think that's where you would get the most Azirianness. That's not a word. Um, the most like what it means to be a resident of Azir, but not so tied to like again. Um, Ezraheim or, or wherever else right. or you know aren't yeah. you know it's not like a you know like a, a college town is so very much tied to the college as opposed to you know the yeah you know, that sort of thing so what is it what does this year look like when you're not like within the eye shot of sigmar or wherever he is um i'd be mm-hmm. interested to see yeah. that yeah, that rural is yeah. Here. yeah that'd be super cool yeah yeah um and then in terms of two realms i think any two realms that are a series of opposites would make for the most interesting combination so if you're doing like a light for death if we're light or shadow, I guess, kind of what you were saying, like Chaman and Gur, possibly. Um, I don't know if there's any other opposites. What's fire and something? Anyways, um, so if you, if, if you get the, the juxtapositions between those two opposite um, realms, I think would make for the most interesting. I don't know what that manifests as. I don't know what it ends up looking like, but it's not. I'm not the writer here, so I don't have to pick. Um, I'm surprised you didn't go with something that was like paired with Azir. Oh, yeah, true. With my initial answer, true. Yeah, to have something where it's like, oh, they're kind of Azerite, but they also kind of live in like Gairan and like seeing those two cultures like merge together. And what you see a lot of is like Azerian's impact on a city and all those other realms. Like what is what is like an Azerian think of this you know, this place, but you very rarely get to see what a Akshian thinks of or like how Akshian would affect an Azerian city, right? Like how, yeah. what would their impact be uh, if they were to go the other way, which I guess is essentially what it would have been the early days when Sigmar closed up all his gates, uh, you know, during Age of Chaos, right? Like how oh, yeah. did that mm-hmm. affect the makeup of what Azir looked like at that time, right? It was probably mm-hmm. one thing and then became at least for a while, a different thing um, as there's sort of this influx of all these different cultures uh, in Azir, right. which I bet you the people living there 
it's, it's almost like the opposite, right? Like it's right now all the reclaimed are sort of bristling at the fact that the Azerians are sort of showing up at their doorstep, but it was the exact opposite back then. All the Azerians had these like the unwashed masses come into their house. Um, what was that like? Probably not great. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, next. Oh, okay. And this will, let's say this will be the last of the listener questions, at least as far as I can tell. Um, question from Abra. Kadebadon. That's a fun one. Good job, my friend. Uh, I think also first time question asker. Uh, they ask, which city has the most tasty street food? What do you guys think? I say Celsius probably. Could be pretty good. Yeah. No. What do you think, Well, um, I think a tie between Excelsis or Hammer Hall Aksha just because all the street food is going to be like cooked almost instantly mm-hmm. uh, and just with the heat the spicy. And get something garlic. nice and hot no matter where you go. Sure. Sure. Uh, I bet you Lethus does not have very good street food. Probably a lot of fish <laughs> though, right? It's on a lake. So yeah, oh, yeah. could be worse, I guess. Um, all right. Uh, those are questions that others have asked us. My question for you guys uh, do you have any black library examples for those listeners who are hooked on these cities of Sigmar and they want to they want to dig deep into the black library li- library that's redundant um, to read more about um, their favorite faction, which is cities of Sigmar. What are some books or stories from Black Library that you folks would recommend for the cities of Sigmar fan? So, funnily enough, um, <laughs> when you all did the episode on this book, it wasn't given big recommendations, but I'm going to say Dominion uh, just because it shows us a Dawnbringer crusade yeah. from start to finish. Yeah. Um, and it, like a lot of the, those personal level things we were saying was really good about this battle tome. That novel has a lot of that as well. Yeah, true. Which, I mean, it's a novel is going to have more of that, but you can see how like, I almost feel like he definitely knew what was going to be in this battle tome a little bit when he wrote that, just because there are a good amount of similarities. Mm-hmm. Over time, I think I've softened on that book a little bit. I think there's some things that I didn't like about it, but the things that I was maybe neutral on, I think in hindsight were, were, were perfectly fine. Yeah. And maybe even I think it was just like people didn't like the main character. And that's always hard to do that with a book when you don't like the main character. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, Josh, any black library recommendations? Uh, yeah, so I liked Hammerhall and other stories, but also City of Secrets, which you mentioned before, I thought was a really fun book. It kind of talks about Excelsis in particular. But Also good. Uh, Hammerhall and other stories was by uh, Josh Reynolds. The Hammerhall part was by Josh Reynolds, and City of Secret- Secrets was by um, Nick Horth. Uh, both? I think both, both of them were uh, discussed on the Moral Realms uh, story phase. So if mm-hmm. y'all listeners can take a look at those or listen to those, don't look at them, then you wouldn't get anything out of it. Um, I got a couple of recommendations. I think most recently, or one of the more recent ones I read was Kragnos, Avatar of Destruction by David Geimer. My friends, don't read it if you want any bit of Kragnos. That's not the point. It's almost incidental. What is interesting is seeing the interplay between Azerites and Reclaimed, um, it has a little bit of a city uh, that, you know, is both trying to be founded and also is under attack, I think, in that story. And all in all, I, I found it very good. So I recommend it just from a story perspective as well. I um, also really liked it. Okay, good. Just throwing that out there. Uh, we had talked about witch hunters up above and the sort of the poster children for witch hunters now is the Vendensts and uh, the book A Hallowed Ground by Richard Strachan. 
um, is about them. So if you want to get dive deeper into some witch hunter stories, um, that's uh, one you could check out. And there's other witch hunter novels out there too that you can you can take a look at as well. Um, and then finally, and I'm not just saying this because we just talked <laughs> about the man, um, but if you want to talk about how do they call it, talk about or read about dirty humans, and of course you do, which is like I don't know my favorite type of humans, honestly. Um, you're going to want to read the Path to Glory by Evan Dickin. It's not really about a city per se, um, though I feel like a city kind of comes into play a little bit. It's it's more like what does it look like when a city falls? Um, so it tell you what if you don't like cities of Sigmar and you want to see them destroyed, then you should check out uh, <laughs> the Path to Glory by Evan Dickin, which is also another <laughs> a novella that we reviewed a long, long time ago, but it still holds up. Um, yeah. Any other Black Library recommendations? Um, yeah, so it's not novels, but a few months back now, they actually did a Dawnbringer week um, of short stories that I recommend going out and grabbing. Uh, the short stories included are False Dawn by Christopher Allen, which is one that takes place in Hish, which I think this is my favorite of the, the group, just throwing that out there. Um, there's Grimnearson by Graham Thomas Wilcox, Air of Shadows by Taylor Roberts, Past Returns by Hal Wilson, and The Road to Hell's March by Luke Skull. Um, so it's a cool selection of stories about Dawnbringer Crusades. Some of them are from within the Dawnbringer Crusades. Some of them are from outsider perspectives. And I think it's worth looking at, especially now that this battle tome is out and revisiting maybe with uh, the new perspectives. Sure. Uh, the Past Returns is a short story that Davey and I did a Pocket Realms on. Oh. So if you, listener, want to get our take on that short story, then become a patron, patron at patreon.com slash the modal realms, and you can give it a listen. Uh, nice. I have to admit, I have to tell you this, that it is unedited and not posted yet, but maybe by the time you listen to this, it will be done. <laughs> Likely, probably not, but it, it's right here on my desktop. I can see it. I literally have the icon highlighted, so it's in progress. Uh, but I'll tell you what, while you wait for that, um, we have a whole bunch of, we've got like, I don't know, 17 other Pocket Realms episodes that you can go and take a listen to. Um, and with that being such a great final plug, I think maybe we can transition to our final thoughts of the Battle Tome. Uh, well, let's go with, well, we'll do the same order. Will, um, close us out with your final thoughts or review uh, of this battle tome. What'd you think of it? Yeah, I think this might be one of my favorite battle tomes um, and not even of just like this edition, but just like so far in AOS ever, ever just because of the personal level it does go to. Um, I think it does just such a really good job of grounding the setting. And when, the human faction can get grounded a bit more. It helps ground everything else and like kind of shifts perspectives a bit. I'm excited to see like future stories that are shaped because of this, like restructuring of humans. The only thing I miss is the timeline section. Didn't give me any information on the reclaimed themselves when the rest of the book has such a like reclaimed focus, I would say. Uh, so because of that, I'm only going to give it 10 out of 11 Cities of Sigmar. Oh, good rating system. Um, all right, cool. Hey, Josh, would you uh, would you think of the Battle Tome? Review it for me. Yeah, I've got to echo a lot of what Will said. I think just the 
the depth of description in terms of, you know, what these crusades are doing and how the city, you know, how they get there, how the city is built, what it, how it evolves and, you know, and the structure and all the different little uh, windows into the, the life that we've got and the changes in the reclaimed. I think there's just so much good new lore and information in here that, yeah, I, I give, highly recommend five out of five coin malice. Nice one too. Um, yeah, I also echo what you guys said. I've said it before and I will say it again. My favorite type of battle tome is one where it's a brand new army, which isn't this. But my second favorite type of battle tome is where it's like a big, big sweeping release uh, for the army, um, which I guess is not a surprise, right? Because the third type of battle tome is just like nominal updates and nobody likes those. So this one uh, is right there in that sweet spot in the middle. Um, I can't, you're not going to get a new army every day. So this is oftentimes the best you can hope for. Big new range release, a bunch of new lore that comes with it, uh, fun justifications for where these things come from, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm pretty jazzed about it. Uh, the way I'm looking at this one is, it's, and we were talking about this, I think maybe before the recording or maybe on the recording, was this one almost feels like a brand new army even, right? Like sure, yeah, a lot of the stuff is shared, but um, it it focuses in, in on both the present day story, which the best battle tomes do, um, and it really calibrates the army to like where we're at currently in a way that like the first one never really even could. Honestly, that one was kind of a soupy uh, catch up um, <laughs> to catch up, not catch up, um, <laughs> but but in some ways, right? Uh, that yeah. that previous one, and so this one really focuses in narrows up the the conversation which i think is maybe a detriment to some people and i, I understand why uh, but it i think it trimmed some fat and, and focused on the current the present the um the interesting the here and now um which i think subsequent battles like battle you know repeat battle tones are supposed to be as well so it kind of does the both of like it's new but then also like it builds on what has come before as well um so all that to say I think it is a, a pretty big win. I mean, again, yes, I, I would like to see if we are going to continue to have Elves and Dwarven, I want to see it more integrated, a more unified front, even though we're talking about diversity there. Um, but I, I mean, I've all not hope that it'll come one day. Um, I think they had to do first things first with like the human centric. They had to start somewhere. Um, again, Age of Sigmar ostensibly is going to be around for a long time. And so there's going to be plenty of time to like evolve what the cities of Sigmar look like eventually. So I'm heck, I've said this before too. I, I look forward to the next battle tome, right? Like, like this is almost feels like a first. Now let's see what number two looks like. Um, you know, years from now. Uh, oh God, I don't have a rating system. I never even do. Um, I, but I will give it very high marks. Let's give it. I'll give it two out of two of the twin tails of a comet. Um, oh, there you go. I like it. Nice. Not super granular, but there we go. So I'm a, I'm a big I was going to say, we kept on having it from 11 to 5 to 2. <laughs> <laughs> if we had a fourth person, they would just say one out of one. Well, I'll give it a big one out of one, 100%. All right. All right. Um, it's time for our forging, but Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter, at The Mortal Realms. And Will, where can they find you online? You can find me on Twitter and threads at Age of Sever, but the best place to find me is going to be in the Mortal Realms Discord, and I'm there as Sever. Excellent. Hey, Josh, where can they find you on the internet? 
be at uh, at je errington on twitter or again uh, just at the mortal realms discord yeah and i'm aaron you can find me at dos asos on twitter and also threads and you can find all our mortal realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com they sure are i was hoping i could get to this section in the i didn't have the pdf open i was trying to get to it in the time you guys were talking but it's too long i know i went too far the wrong way oh god it's like i've never used a document before Aaron, here's 44 is it oh good call oh there you go ah, ha, oh, oh gosh all right cool we're back um keep going if you if you wanted to no no i would i my mouth worked faster than my brain and my brain finally caught up to stop it <laughs> well in that case though what what is what's uh, one of your one of your fave new things uh, at one point, I want to talk about our favorite cities in this book, but I don't think we're there yet. Um, oh, no, I have too many notes open. Oh, the last episode was 48. This episode is 84. That's crazy. What? Uh-huh.